Mr. Eliopoulos and Mr. Witty. A few weeks ago, you began preparing for the imminent release of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 by watching the first two entries in the franchise, codenamed Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible 2. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to continue this preparation for the next two, with the next two entries, codenamed Mission Impossible 3 and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. As always, should you fail or be compromised in any way, the Secretary will disavow you and deny any involvement. This message will self-destruct in around four hours. Good luck, gentlemen. <laughs> I really wish you had said the board instead of the secretary. I went but back and forth good. a lot. I went back yeah. and forth a lot on that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I only did that because it's quite strange that the two Mission Impossible episodes have been me introing. <laughs> what timing? Destiny. Next time, it won't be. That's probably true. Uh, But yes, we're back to talk about the Mission Impossible films. I am Brandon T. McClure, and if you didn't know them by their last names, I am joined with Ben Magnet. That's me. Ryan Eliopoulos. My stuff. And Sparks Witty. That's not my name. Okay. Apparently that's not his name. Actually, that's true. That is not his name. But what is his name? You'll never know unless you watch the real score. Um, What'd you say? I said, or someone slips. As they are wont to do throughout the entire history of fake news. That happens. Yeah. How are you guys? How's it going? It's, it's, it's good. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk about movies. It's been a week. It has. It has indeed it. Yeah. been a week. Ben, I think your your yeah. your camera is staticking once more. Ah, uh, no, really. This is a problem we had uh, just before Secret Invasion <laughs> recorded. I'm sure it'll fix. We do have uh, links in the description, however, if you want me to talk about them. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. We got a lot to do. Let's move. Because Sparks was a madman this week. Let me tell you, buddy. You know, know, this this train keeps going, and it's because of him. Do you guys know how happy I am to not have my old job at Disneyland (laughs) and have my new job? (laughs) I'm so happy. Um, well, so first off, I'll talk about the things that aren't a part of this network, which is my CBR uh, author page. It is still up there. Um, it's very, very slow going right now at CBR due to some internal stuff that's very frustrating. Um, but I put, but there's an article up this week about um, the Beast Machines that weren't in Rise of the Beasts, which is fun to write. Uh, so that's there. Um, if you guys are interested in that one, and Ben, yeah. Oh, I should real quickly say. I tried a new system with the links. YouTube really hated it. So for the live stream, the links are not there, but they will be there for the rewind and the audio people. I'm so sorry. Gotcha. Um, but Ben. Yeah. D and Dark episode 31. 32. Yeah, 32. 32. Ben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the conclusion to the um, Mary Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein saga, or at least the conclusion of this part, because um stuff happened a lot of stuff happened um you say that issues... <laughs> nah, I, I, I do say that every week because i don't want to yeah, say exactly what happened because then that's spoiler for people who haven't listened to it yet this and feels some... more like opening chapter of a new thing than the closing chapter of the arc you're talking about yeah. i felt the same way i finished it this morning um i wouldn't say not to tell you how to promote your own show ben but it does <laughs> it does feel less like a closing chapter of an arc i feel like yeah. we already had that and more of the beginning of a new one yeah, it's it. I've worded it wrong. It's not a closing. It's a it's a beginning because other stuff that I mean it hasn't been released yet because there is stuff down the pipeline that is going to happen. But I have to say, 
when the big reveal of who Rainer was, I just saw the movie Redfield <laughs> when we recorded that. And I was just like, oh, shit. I see. Okay. So like when, when we saw it, I already had been suspicious. Mm-hmm. And because we saw it, I was like, I wonder if Ben's figured it out. No, <laughs> I legitimately had no it's because, clue. It's because Dan Dan was doing the laugh. Yeah, the Redfield laugh. He'd oh. been doing it since the beginning. Okay. If you were paying attention, it was right there. Oh. Yeah, yeah. If I was paying attention, I, I, well, I mean, I was paying attention, but I wasn't paying attention to the to, Redfield bit. To Dan's credit, he hit it. He like started it differently and ended it differently, but the middle was very clear. Yeah. Um. What else was? But yeah. The the whole reveal at the end of the episode was just one of those oh shit moments True. where it was because the whole because per, to be perfectly honest the whole time I had no idea who Rainer really was I thought that Rainer's main purpose was to bring about Cthulhu like that was my theory I was thinking it's like oh this is like the second the Necronomicon showed up I was like oh yeah we're getting like in the abyss the Necronomicon the abyss I'm thinking oh we're going to some Cthulhu cultist shit okay mm-hmm. okay but uh the other thing happened I'm like oh. He's a scroll. I'm so glad that we talked about it, but we never talked about it with Ben. Oh, yeah. That'd, that'd be, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm well, we've got a few other things recorded, so I don't want to spoil it to you guys. No, for sure, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, we were suspicious before. And also, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure it's fixed now. I haven't checked, but um, for those of you who listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, when the um if you were to listen to it on Wednesday when it first came up, it was the episode with myself and Victor Frankenstein. And if you want to listen to the more current episode, it was on Spotify, but I'm pretty sure the issue is fixed right now. Yeah, I think so. Grayson live in the chat, Ben, if you want to bring up his most recent. Uh, oh, yep, he's there. And he's like, <laughs> I sat in the theater with Dan and looked at him and I was like, you know what? This Redfield guy could be Rainer in another world. Dan laughed it off and didn't press or he didn't press. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty sorry. Good. Sorry, Dan, if anyone listening to this podcast hasn't gotten to DN Dark yet, we ruined a big surprise for them. Sorry. We didn't say who it was, though. Grayson did. <laughs> uh, we were playing cheeky, but reading Grayson's comment kind of does it in. Damn it! Um, he could be playing the uh, the the Ben Schwartz role. Sure. I I I I do, I do like legitimately Ben. I know that you know there is a world where I only promote it because you're on it, uh, and I would I would promote anything that you do on the show 100. Um, percent There is, but but that is not to diminish how frankly good I think D and dark really is. Like I'm, I'm really surprised in a good way, not to sound belittling, but it's really great. And like, I'm just really impressed with it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I keep saying it's an absolute blast to do just the uh, myself, Grayson, Jordan, Aaron, Daniel, dungeon master, Dan, all of us are going on this crazy ride together. It has been, so much fun and i absolutely love doing it you guys have Uh, really come together as a as a group you guys really rock together i I will say um a little bit inside baseball not saying exactly what's happening because we don't know what's happening we just know that next weekend we're doing recording but we're doing a double duty recording Mm -hmm. because um our dungeon master said hey shit's about to hit the fan and we're like all right let's do this thing love it very cool so a big part in the story is about to 
is about to happen. So I am I'm ready for it. I'm here. And also I was honest not honest to God, not expecting Dan to give me inspiration to what I what me as Mary Frankenstein said. Oh yeah, this uh uh-huh, sounds like a punk bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Because my character doesn't know who that other character is, and I have no idea. Ben knows. Mary doesn't know. Um, Speaking of scrolls, because you've been saying it, so I figured, why not? Um, Speaking of scrolls, our fake nerds watch for Secret Invasion is linked down below. Uh, The first episode of Secret Invasion is out, and we have uh, done a fake nerds watch on it. What do we think about it? Uh, Go check it out. Watch that um uh so yeah so that was that's a show and um seeping in the fakeners watch world uh star trek change new worlds fakeners watch has begun as well um that was the so the first episode is recorded down below uh where we talked about the first episode of change new worlds and i was joined by sparks and ryan for the for the first time together on a star trek fakeners watch which was really fun trek it to your record baby right. <laughs> um as as was the same oh dan is in the oh, chat shit. oh shit uh yeah so uh, to rewind a little bit grayson live a few minutes ago said dan has done a fantastic job throwing us all into this adventure which he has and dan our my dungeon master himself is saying i appreciate the support big time and try to give it right back to you guys keep up your good work as well oh speak the master's name and a portal shall open yeah mm-hmm. and uh, i can only assume he's gonna throw us into a meat grinder next weekend so yeah so so uh my conversation episode with ken knapsack is still linked below um where i talked to him about indiana jones and the indiana jones fandom has a lot of fun i hope you guys have listened to it uh just the general the 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 royal you guys not necessarily you guys um uh and i hope i hope everyone's enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed recording it next week the next episode coming uh this week will be with my with my friend rachel strange from the uh narrative labyrinth podcast that was a really fun interview. I'm really excited for you guys to hear that one as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, there are two Basement Arcade Pause menu episodes in the description below. Hell yeah, there are. Summer Games Fest Part 2. Part 2. And yeah. Ben, you did an interview with Mint. Is it Bly? Blay. Blay. Yeah. Talk about uh, yeah. So the Summer Games Fest bit, we did record. Originally, myself, Ryan, and Sparks recorded the whole thing in one go, but computers decided to be computers for a hot second. But we were able to re record it. We got some stuff. We got it stuff. We got it out. We also added the Star Wars Outlaws trailer, which I finally did watch all the way through. And it was awesome. And it was, I was like, damn it, video games. Video games are great. And um, Mint, friend of the show, Mint, she wanted to come back on, and we were able to get a recording time. And we were just, and then when she was first on the show, we talked about games that we felt like should get a remaster. That we want these games to have remastered. We want them to get introduced to uh, to younger audiences or for players to play them again, so you don't have to go and get new hardware. And this time, we're like, hey, these are the remasters and games we absolutely adore. And we were talking about Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection, the Crash Insane Trilogy, my Spiral Reignited Trilogy. And of course, she was. we had to talk about Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon because she is a huge Armored Core fan. And she is like ready for that game. I'm like, you know what? I mean, I played from soft games. I'm able to play Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, and Elden Ring. But I love Mobile Suit Gundam. And this game is giving me the uh, so much, so many Gundam Mobile Suit Gundam vibes. You're and primed. I'm, You're primed I, for I, it. I, I'm primed. I'm ready to go. Let's rock and roll. Prime. Alpha's prime. 
Okay, so that's so check those out, of course. And the because we are talking about Mission Impossible three and four today, uh, I have in the description another uh, cinephiles that went up this week, which was Mission Impossible one and two. So if mm. you missed that episode and you were not able, or you haven't checked that episode out, the cinephiles are available for you guys to continue on with the discussion. So you are you are primed, as they say, and ready to go for one and two. And then finally, I'll talk about. The grand Cinephile. return. C- Cinephiles for the Flash is also out. That is out. It's not in the description, but it is out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm trying something new with the description, and I accidentally left that one out because I was more concerned with format sure. than I shouldn't have been. <laughs> um, so, yes, so the Flash Cinephiles is out. Yes. Um, so check that one out. And uh, finally, I'll say the, uh, the, the grand return of Mythalanius. Um, four years ago, Sparks and I decided to do a mythology-based podcast, and a couple months after that, we couldn't continue it. What? Five, five, five years, years ago. ago? Oh, it because we started four years ago. It started in 2018. It just keeps every time I say this, it gets uh, it, the the time gets longer. Sure. Um, so okay, time? so okay, so five years ago, we started this mythology mythology-based podcast. Um, we were able to bring it back in a this is different though it's not the same miscellaneous we do want to bring back kind of the same miscellaneous but this is going to be a uh, a series where i talk about the kind of real life myth- mythological stories and historical uh, accounts of the um of the macguffins that make up the indiana jones franchise so the first one is out right now and is the ark of the covenant where i tell sparks about um what the movie what what the movie kind of did and what it they based on and what they it's a really i i did a lot of work on it i think it's pretty cool um i had a lot of fun doing it so i hope you guys did too that's linked below i don't it's the, I same, don't, it's the same show it's just about indiana jones <laughs> that's fair. honestly every time you guys talk about miscellaneous i always think of that one time when you're at comic-con and jeff bridges was on stage promoting his movie seven son and he was just saying it's myth man it's myth <laughs> Yeah, he had no idea what that movie was about. No clue. Oh, he was in the damn thing. Um, man, Seven Son. I don't think about that movie at all. He I did, just remember. Did, I think about that panel a lot. <laughs> he did Seven Son and R.I.P.D. basically back to yeah, back, yeah. and I'm like, man, this is a rough time for Jeff Bridges. <laughs> man, <laughs> he didn't care. No, no, I'm just saying. It's like, hey, man, not everything can be paid. Yes, okay, I got a pool money. Sometimes you just need a pool. Exactly. Um, all right, so uh, that's all the links down below. Please check them out. Um, Sparks worked like a madman to get them out there. Uh, they are both uh, where available in audio and video format. Um, so please check them out. Okay, if, if you guys have, if Sparks and Ryan have been pretty quiet on the links, if you guys have anything you want to add about the links, otherwise we'll continue. Nah, I, well, I got nothing to say about them. Go, go check them out. You were on um, Summer Games Fest, but oh yeah, just go check them out. Yeah, we talked about right. cool games. Well, then let's talk about a week. Uh, who wants to go first? I will. Ben. Oh, he rose his hand. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'd, not a whole lot of stuff happened besides a certain thing about Tears of the Kingdom. I won't go talk more about that because I've been talking about that damn game for, what, three plus weeks straight? Um, wow. Yeah, still amazing. Though I will say I got the Master Sword and I had to go cry because, mm-hmm. ugh, gut punch. And besides that, I watched a little bit of more Rebels. I'm just, I'm slowly chipping away through Star Wars Rebels. And 
once again, fantastic show. Absolutely love it. I love how season two was more of the ghost, the crew, of the ghost doing rebel missions, and they're not just stuck on one planet like they were in season one. It feels like a great progression of the story. And the more I watch it, I'm like, damn, Dane Filoni knew what the hell he was doing. This is great. And just, and even bringing back more of the Clone Wars, even though I've, I've seen bits, I've seen like a season and a half of Clone Wars. And just like bringing in Captain Rex and all this, I was like, oh yeah, this was an old Clone Wars um, base. This was an old Separatist base, but we know how to use it. And I'm just like, just those callbacks to events in the Clone Wars just make me happy. I'm like, man, this is some really good Star Wars content. This is great. He was cooking. He, he was definitely cooking. Um, myself, Sparks, and Ryan played a little bit of Fortnite, which was fun. Always fun to play Fortnite with those guys. Um, true. We heard Brandon, Optimus Prime's voice in a, in a temple. He was like, hey, did. I'm Peter Cullen. Let's talk about the robots and stuff. Mm-hmm. We did, Brandon, get on it. And um, my fiance really wanted to go see The Flash. So I went and saw The Flash with her again. And I fell asleep three times. There are worse movies out there. No, it's not garbage. No, 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 no. I'm not not saying the movie was bad. But I will say I did fall asleep three times. (laughs) That's awesome, though. Hey, movies are the best naps because it's like a paid nap. Like when you have a really good nap. Like I've only done it like twice in my life. Man, Venom, one of the best naps of my life. Here's and my I, my partner continuously says that No Time to Die was the best nap of her life. Damn, that's a long ass movie. Yeah, <laughs> that is a long ass movie. I was honest when I was watching it, I was trying to like watch it with a more critical eye instead of like because the first time I saw it, I was like, oh wow, like you know, being amazed by you know, or tr- trying to be amazed and trying to like just take it in. Second time, I'm like, oh yeah, this bro, nope, well, come on, come on, caffeine, come on, soda, caffeine. What power did you see it as well? Um, we saw it at eleven o'clock in the morning. That might as well be like 6 a.m. dude. <laughs> yeah, with, with the way I've been playing and going to sleep when the birds start tripping, but because yeah. of Tears of the Kingdom, probably. I will say, I will, I will say, Sparks and Ryan came to the Flash's defense, which is fine. Uh, there, there are certainly worse movies to go see. However, Ben, I will say, uh, Devil's Advocate, there are better movies to go see. So oh, I absolutely. do kind of, I am kind of with you. That's yeah. not Devil's Advocate. There are better movies to see. Yeah, I'm frankly mad Ben didn't go see Elemental instead. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> she wanted to see The Flash and she hasn't well, seen it. Bad choice. Elemental's better. <laughs> Weird. True. We do have plans to go see Elemental on 4th of July. I should have the day off. So we're going to catch a matinee. We're going we're gonna to catch a matinee of that movie. So yeah, All if right. it's still, if it's still theaters. But yeah, that's pretty much my week. All right. Sparks or Ryan, you want to go next? I'll go next because I actually did the exact same thing Ben did. And I did that just like 20 minutes ago. And that is, I also got the Master Sword in Zelda. Uh, <gasps> I, I, it took me a long time to find the final tier. And I had to just look it up because like, I was just like going to every sky, sky tower and jumping up. And it's like looking around, where is this thing I'm looking for? And I couldn't Did you find not it. find the map room? Oh, no. Oh. There's a map room? Wait. <laughs> That has a where it shows you where all of them are. Yes, there's no way. okay. So, all right, where's it? Sparks, is it an impus place? No, it's it's not an impus place. So, after you, so there's this giant gorge on the western side of the map that separates um the Hyrule Field and the Hebra Mountain Range, and the, it turns into Gerudo Canyon. Yes. Um, yes. there, if you go inside there, there's this it, okay. It's the spot where in Breath of the Wild, all the guardians were where you got your original suit from like the Legend of Zelda. And the giant mother goddess statue was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. go when you go into it, the mother goddess statue is down and you and revealing an open door. You go through the door and you find the map room where all the geoglyphs are. Well, I don't need that because I, I did it all 12 by just <laughs> jumping in the air and going, What about I mean, where am I good going? Jo- 
yeah, it was a lot of fun. Job. No, no, good job. I don't know how the hell I came across that giant gorge. Any or no, I know how because I was going to Hebra to do the it, to yeah. do the Wind Temple. Yeah, I guess. I love that. That's incredible, and I still had just good experience without it. Like it's I, that's what's so good about this game. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Ben, like that is like it's it's like I've been hearing online and like even from from a roommate who who's done it. Like like this this version of getting the Master Sword might be the best in any Zelda game. And I yeah. haven't played every single one, but I'm definitely inclined to agree because it's not just like an epic moment, like the story, the actual story of why it's called Tears of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's like a like Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan twist. And it's incredible. It's awesome. And I'm like, oh my, I can't, like, it made me feel like, like, a, like a little kid, dude. It was like magical. The second, the second the thing happens, and the dragon's tears start falling. That's when it clicked. It was like, that's why it's called Tears of the Kingdom. It's, it's, it's and, amazing. And the second, the second I got the sword, I, I mean, it's obviously I'm using it, but I'm just like, every time I just hurt. It's just, it's a gut punch and I cannot wait. I actually, I was doing a, I was just like in one of the giant stone labyrinths. Mm-hmm. I got into a stone labyrinth. A bunch of the gloom hands came out. I just dazzle fruited them and bomb flowered them. Mm-hmm. And when Phantom Ganon came back, this is my second encounter with the Phantom Ganon kicked his ass. I am just like yeah. any time now because of that story, every time I see 84 of Ganondorf, I'm mad. This oh yeah. This game made this personal. Yeah. I uh <laughs> I finally it took me until like like 80 hours in to finally be confident enough to fight the gloom hands, and they're easy. And then Phantom Ganon actually isn't that bad either. I'm like, oh, I was worried about nothing. These guys are punks. I mean, when, you uh, first, like, when you first meet him, he's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, well, yeah, well, when you're three yeah. hearts in, but now I'm 20 yeah. in, and I got, like, full armor sets and shit, and I got, like, an 80 axe. I'm like, you're nothing, bro. Uh, exactly. So, like, I'm ready now to beat this game, now that I got the sword, so I can beat no, the no. Demon King. I'm so, ready. Ryan, when you fight, um, like, I believe, Glo- I haven't tried it on Gloom Monsters yet, or Gloom Monsters in the Deaths, but I use the Master Sword against Phantom Ganon, wrecks his shit. I believe it. It doesn't have a base power level. It doesn't say how powerful it is, so I don't know... But I'm but killing does, like one shotting things, so I'm like, it does have that. It does have the annoying thing of it loses its energy, so it has to regenerate after after a while. So I mean, you know, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. I got ten other weapons I can use. Oh yeah, but I'm so glad yeah, you got so it. I did that. That's great. Uh, I didn't play much Zelda, but like I I did that part, and that just felt really significant. So like I'm ready because there are two other games that I like. I need to finish Jedi Survivor, and I have Final Fantasy 16 right there, and I'm like aching to play it y'all like i'm like it's feverish and i'm just like i i can't play a third game without finishing two other ones it just it'd be so ridiculous like i can't do that uh so besides that uh the bear the bear came back my favorite show last year that wasn't andor uh uh came back and it it did the, the thing where it dropped all the episodes at once and that really bums me out because like the conversation is being had but i know in a couple weeks it'll already, it'll already be gone and like around award season, it'll come back because this show won a lot of awards for Emmy season when it its premiere season. It was year. weekly for its first. It right? was weekly, yeah. So like, I'm, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure. I'm not. Yeah, I'm pretty it, sure. I'm pretty sure. Direct to Hulu now and not on FX it's, anymore. I'm watching like, it on Hulu. It's, well, I know it says that, but FX like, on it. That's why I mean, like, I guess you don't know the answer, no. but like, is it aired? weekly on fx because that was the reason it was weekly last time because it was airing on fx and also going to hulu i'll tell you time. what um i don't I think so i think it's a hulu original 
Yeah, so, oh, that's yeah. garbage. Yeah, I think it might have been. Yeah, uh, it still has an FX like logo in the front, but uh, uh, I'll, I'll I'll dig more into it. But uh, yo, that show's still great. Like the first, I've watched four episodes. I think it's out of eight episodes. Um, the first two episodes are really great. Like you know, we're back into the bear. They're they're trying to like they used to operate an old sandwich shop and they're renovating it and it's really hard and so many you know like so many permits and all these things and it's really dramatic and really funny. You know, the chemistry is great. It's some of the honestly some of the the most realistic like character stuff I've seen in TV in a long time. It just feels so natural. It just, these feel like just real people operating like a business. And there's like just a bunch of 20 somethings who are like chefs trying to like make shit work. And like, they're all covered in tattoos and swearing. And like, it's really great. And then episode three and four hit. And it turns into like a, like art show almost where it's very singular and it's very focused on just like making food. And like the editing specifically is so, there's so many shots of like, uh, uh, food being prepared and made on tables and it's just like beautiful things being made and it's like half the episode is feels like like an art show uh and uh you guys don't watch the show i'm just going to spoil like the guest like will poulter is the big guest star of episode four and it's entirely about him teaching this other chef to be a pastry chef and it's just an episode of them talking to each other and it's just like how how this person how will poulter as a chef came to be how he's like one of the best pastry chefs in the world but he's a dude who looks like me he's like a dude covered in tattoos and he's like kind of hard-edged and he's like I just love cooking, man. And like, I'm going to tell you how to do this. And it's just like, it feels so real. And I love it so much. Uh, it's just like, it feels so special. And like these connections that these characters are having, it's like, they're all just like regular people. They're all bo broke, but they all have a dream. Uh, uh, and you know, in this, in this age of capitalism, it's impossible, but they're trying really hard. And it's just, it's a really special show. Um, uh, it's not necessarily one I think all y'all need to watch, but you really should. Like, I won't recommend it like everything else, but like for me, as like a restaurant person, like it's just, it's like, it's so real and it's so good. Yeah, right. I'm a former restaurant person and I definitely need to watch that show. It's also just like, it's just a great drama, but like, it's just the way that like people operate in the kitchen and the business and it's like customer stuff. Like, it's just so real. Like, it's like all, all these people have like worked in food before. Like they know how it works. Uh, it's just really special. Um, I'm sure I've done other things. And if I did, they were with Sparks. So, um, so I'm done. Uh, real quickly, Ben, there's a comment that Grayson has put in the chat. That's so nice. Mm -hmm. I think it needs mm -hmm. to be highlighted. Yeah, it does. Grayson Life says, I really do enjoy how each of you allow the others to nerd out on anything they're really into and no one cuts in forcing past the show. You're just supportive, smiley face. Learn that the hard way, buddy. We all, <laughs> we all hey man, we all love things. Sometimes Grayson, things sometimes should, no, yeah. Grayson should know that I was what I was referencing to. So. Yeah, no, we all know what you were referencing <laughs> to, man. <laughs> All right. It feels like an eternity. Uh, I, I also want to just point out that Mag brought up movies oh, they yeah. got to see. Um, the Blackening in particular. Oh, yes. I really want to go see. I hope that was good, Mag. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I've heard great things about Asteroid City. I'll probably just catch that when it catches up. That I'm probably just not going to make to theaters, honestly, yeah. because it doesn't need my help, but I would like to see The Blackening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll go ahead with my week. Uh, I'll, I'll go right off the top and say I caught up on my mangas again. Ooh. Um, which means that I read Dragon Ball Super, and it's basically just going over the superhero movie. So snore. Um, <laughs> I like I like that movie fine. I'm just like I want the manga to move past it at this point. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm tired of it. I'm like, why are we doing this? I, I just want to move on. Um, it's weird that they've. It's uh, I guess it's not necessarily weird that they've done it, but they didn't do Resurrection F, right? They did. No, Battle they did. Of the Gods. They covered they covered it briskly. Okay, but. They didn't do Battle of the Gods because I know they didn't do one of the first two movies, right? Um, and then they didn't do Broly, right? Um, so it's, and they've never done any of the past Dragon Ball shows because they're the, not technically canon. The weirder, the weirder part of this is that they are being so meticulous. I think, like mm -hmm. we're 
three chapters in, and I would estimate there's two or two or three more to go um, before we're through the movie, which two, means two or three more months until we're past the movie. And I just Still don't know time. why they're taking this much time. That's a lot of time. I'm like, right. we just didn't need to be this meticulous. We could have done this in two. Yeah, I don't think you need. I, I I mean, I'm not caught up, but like, I just don't think you need to ever cover those movies. Yeah. Um, let me tell you, it was a big bummer to get to the last chapter before this one. And it was all like, it had the Broly and Goku and Vegeta training and fighting stuff. And it's like, it's all literally just the movie stuff. Like, you didn't add anything. You didn't add anything. So mad. Rip. Anyway, um, you know what's great manga, though? Kaiju number eight. Excellent. Still caught up. Eight. Really having a great time. But you know what's even better? Nine. Chainsaw Man. <laughs> um, <laughs> that shit continues to be so good. To rip. And we're at like, this impasse point that is i don't know what's gonna happen it's kind of nuts like chainsaw man is a wide open tapestry of like anything's gonna happen at this point i really don't know scrolls um thrilled thrilled that chainsaw man continues to be a banger manga um strange new worlds you mentioned it watched it great you watched the entire first season he has thoughts on it that i mean Go listen I, to our fake nerds watch i mean that that technically is this is that yes. this week yes yeah yeah. Man, when did we record that episode? <laughs> Wednesday. We recorded on Wednesday. Okay, that feels like a year ago for me. <laughs> yeah, guys, I watched the entire first season of Strange New Worlds. That show is excellent. I wouldn't have watched the whole thing in a week unless I didn't, uh, you know, unless I wasn't loving it. It's fantastic. I'm so glad season two is here. I'm hearing, like, people who've already seen episode two saying it's one of the best episodes of TV they've ever seen. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'm jonesing for it. I cried. Wait, is it out? Did I miss it? Yeah, it's out. It came out Thursday. Yeah, we it comes out on Thursdays. We talk about this. We have oh, to watch it. Um, man, time yeah. is a loop. I know. Um, uh, man, these are all good ones. I don't know what order I want to go Any in. Okay. Order. Um, I let's real quick. Ryan and I did a bunch of game demos this week. You're gonna see them. They're coming out for Basement eight, Arcade this coming eight week. Eight of them. There are eight games. Um, Little Kitty Big City, Jusant, um, On Guard. Ebenezer, the Ebenezer game. Viewfinder. Viewfinder. The motorcycle game. Stray Gods. Stray Gods. Um, 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 Thirsty Suitors. Thirsty Suitors. That's all of them. That's seven. No, no, no. We got them all. Oh, did we? we, Did I? Yeah. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, uh, You'll see them. They're coming out in two batches. So there's going to be four and four uh, this week. And um, please watch those. And we say a lot about them. We had a great time. Um, absolutely none of those games were bad. We had a great time. With they're all, them. all the demos are about 20, 30 minutes to get a little taste of like, hey, then they're all. Some of them are a little longer and we were like, we're good here. Yeah. Uh, just because we didn't want to take a longer time recording, not because the games were bad. They yeah, were yeah. all really cool. Wow, Meg, caught up with Skull Island. All right. <laughs> hey, then. that's out. And I will I, get to it one day, maybe. I already forgot it came out. Yeah. Wait, what did you say? Sorry, we took that away too too quickly, Ben. Caught up with Skull uh, Island, and it's interesting for characters and monster designs. Uh, All right, some, I'll say something about that in my week. Uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. My friends saw that. it, but I saw it finally. And just like Age, uh, what was the last one, Brandon? What's the last Bay Bay film? Last night. Uh, just like last night, I went by myself, um, and I saw <laughs> Rise of the Beasts, and I think it's pretty good. I also saw it by myself. Nice. So okay. Yeah, because I wasn't here. Yeah. It's a sad times. Um, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a good time. I think you guys did a pretty good job reviewing it. I probably air closest to Ryan on it, which is still enjoying it, but having my my qualms. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Had a good time. Yeah, um, I, I, re- I really like that movie. I want to see it again. <laughs> yeah, I I can wait, but I do want to see it again. Um, I'll say like the human stuff was like the best it's been. 
the Transformer stuff was like, as far as characters, was lesser than it's been um, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, and let's do this. Uh, today, caught up entirely on Yellow Jackets. How many episodes did you watch? Five? We watched four today. Four today? Jeez, yeah. I love it. Um, so Yellow Jackets, in the can, done, caught up. What a show, guys. What a show. What a show. What a show. It's true. Y'all should watch it. I ain't lying. I they gotta watch Last of Us. I first. really can't say that's true. That's very much more important. Either, so. But like I can't really say anything. I can't. Like I can't. It's just great. I can't say anything. I would be ruining it. If this is somehow your very first time listening to the Fickner podcast, Yellow Jackets is a show about a group of girls who get stranded in the wilderness in 1996 and they're there for almost two years and they do the worst, craziest, imaginable, imaginable things possible and they do some weird culty shit and possibly supernatural shit and that haunts them 25 years later in a dual timeline show. It's incredible. Great character Look, stuff. If you have Paramount Plus, Yellow Jackets is there. I think you should watch it. Ten episodes. Second season. Nine has episodes. A lot of scenes between Christina Ricci and Elijah Wood. If that piques your interest, maybe you should do it. Yeah, two okay. weirdo, two weirdo musical serial killer people hanging out together. It's just like it's just a dream. It's a dream. And the last thing I'll talk about is my little PSA. I'm gonna get on my little soapbox and be like, "Hey, y'all, Elemental, don't sleep on it. It's this horrendously yes, <laughs> it's horrendously mismarketed. Yeah, the movie's um, awesome. It is so so obvious. In fact, I if, if you don't know, uh, I'll make it really clear. There was a teaser. The first thing we saw for Elemental was Ember, the character who is fire, like looking uncomfortable on a train with uh, all the other elements around her. Um, the the earth, the air, the water, and she's the only fire element on there and she looks really uncomfortable. Wow, wouldn't it have contextually made you care so much more if you knew that she was a refugee living there and she is the first generation child of refugees and that's why she feels so out of place because the town is literally not made for her? Yes. Yes, I think it would. It's that, explains, that explains the fence joke. Yes. Wow. Wow. It's so... It's so it is not the Romeo and Juliet story that they sell in the trailers. It is first and foremost, a story about being the first generation child of immigrants who come to a, a country. I said refugees earlier. I was thinking about secret invasion. I mean, immigrants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there's a good love story, a good love story, but that is not the, the that's like secondary to yeah. what the story is about, about Ember. Um, what a good movie. It's really What good. a good movie. What a lovingly made movie. Um, this is the director of The Good Dinosaur, which I like. Um, but this is a much more personal story to them. This is very much them taking the experiences of their parents and what they saw and what they experienced and applying it to this film. And it's beautiful. And it's very good. And the animation is incredible. The animation is incredible. Um, the fire, it's just always always just going randomly it never looks like it's you know like it the way they think about incredible. the way they think about things like whenever wade is in a certain proximity to ember he'll bubble, bubble up and the bubbles will increase or decrease depending on his proximity like the, the 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 amount of detail they put into these characters is amazing yeah and it is a good movie will is it like pixar top 10 i don't know that's not for me to say uh for everybody i think it's high up there this is not mid-tier this is high tier that's it's good Oh, yeah. um, it's unfortunate that Disney as a whole failed to market this movie properly because I think fundamentally everyone would be more interested in this movie if they knew right off the bat from the trailers that it was an immigrant story. Um, anyway, 
please go see Elemental. I'm thrilled that Elemental overtook the Flash this week and is doing numbers that it's kind of making a comeback. That's really great. Um, I hope that trend continues and it doesn't get considered a flop. Yeah, yeah word, word of mouth uh, has been very good. Uh, Mag says, "Agree. This needs attention. This needs more attention. Yeah, this yeah. being Elemental and." We wanted to go see Elemental. We really did try to go see it this weekend, but unfortunately, Fanny had a um, she had a company meeting that went later past the last showing of the ben, of Elemental. Then it's all good. Just see it while it's in theaters. Like just, I will. It's worth it. It's, it's a solid. It's a solid Pixar time, guys. I will go see this movie in while it's in theaters. I can guarantee you that. The marketing we talked about the soft air sparks, but the, Disney's marketing department uh, needs some changing. Because, like, across the board, I think they're terrible right now. Uh, they utterly, completely failed and dropped the ball on Elemental because certainly would have gotten more attention if people knew what the story was from the trailers rather than having to see the movie to know. It's it's like what? you watch the first five minutes and you're like, oh, this is what the movie's about. Yeah. Oh, it's very clear right from the jump. You're like, oh, oh, this is the movie. Yeah. Question. Yes. Was there another movie besides the bad guys, a Disney movie specifically, where the marketing was not good, but when we went and saw the movie, we walked out of there going, "Oh, they messed up." Yes, but I don't know what. I, is, I don't know what I'll happen. Actually, yeah. huh? Uh, this has happened a lot, actually. But I'll tell you one that comes to mind really starkly is Encanto. Mm. None of yeah. us thought Encanto was good from the trailers. Like we weren't sure what it was going to be, and then Encanto was a good movie. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I don't think Disney's. Uh, I I th at this point, I, I probably think that Disney's marketing team is marketing all of their subsidiaries, and across the board, I've just not been impressed with their marketing. Yeah, I would say that like we talked about Secret Invasion. I don't think the marketing for Secret Invasion was super good either. Yeah. Although I just found out, I, I'm sure you guys saw the disgusting film thing where where scrolls are appearing in the back of news broadcasts. I did. <laughs> Which is kind of wild. That is kind of cool. Um, all right, my turn. If there's anything else, Sparks, no, that was it. I saved Elemental for last because I think it's most important. Okay, well, I'll start with this one first because Mag brought it up. I've watched six of the eight episodes available for Skull Island. Uh, it is 20 episodes long, very easy. 20 episodes, Jesus, it is eight episodes long, 20 minutes long. <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> 20 minutes each, very easy to get through, very easy yeah. to blow through. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, for me personally, really enjoying it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's, um, this is not a me to pitch to you guys. I'm purely just saying um, that I that I really enjoy it. I think it's funny. It's uh, well-written. It's got some good fun characters. Um, one of the things that I was concerned about when it comes to the marketing was that Skull Island wouldn't have the megafauna that we were, that, that I personally liked a lot in the Kong Skull Island movie where the animals had both animal and plant-like features. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really happy to say that is not the case. There are actual megafauna on, on this show and they're really cool looking. Um, there are the more generic monsters, which I like less, but we do still get the, the, the megafauna elements to tie it into that movie. And I was really happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, I'm really enjoying it. And I, there's a, <laughs> There's a giant it's octopus or squid monster who had a really funny moment in the last in the last episode that we watched that I, I really enjoyed. Um, there's some some of the writing because it's by one person. It's one person writing all eight, eight episodes of the show. Um, he 
there's a lot of exacerbated humor. Like there's a lot of like, well, you told me to go do that. There's a lot of that between like the two kid characters. And that gets to be a little annoying sometimes, but for the most part, some of the more subdued humor is really working for me. And the characters are fun and they're likable and I'm interested in where they go. Um, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm happy that about that because I was not interested from that trailer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are the people indigenous to the Island in the show? Uh, we've seen so far one of them. Okay. Uh, uh, and I, I'm so I'm not sure if they pop up as a as a whole, but the showrunner did say that uh, should they get a second season renewal, they want to explore the uh, el- the elements of the island that the movie explored. So this season was to kind of explore their own path, and the next season would be to reincorporate the Kong Skull Island elements. Sure. So. Uh, I would imagine that that would mean that the indigenous people would be there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But the way things go, probably canceled. Probably canceled. And removed. Uh, the, the monster versus. Well, Netflix has yet to re- to remove things. That well, this oh, they didn't. Then never mind. The Marvel stuff. <laughs> well, things that they they solely own. Yeah. So they. Uh, um, so this is the first MonsterVerse show because it came out the gate before Monarch, which is probably by the end of the year. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm happy. I'm happy about that. And then the final thing I'll talk about is Lonely Castle in the Mirror, which is an anime film um, that was that had a Fathom event in uh, in America, and Zara really wanted to go see it and showed me the trailer. And I thought it looked really cool, so we went to see it. Um. So what it is, if you haven't heard about it, which is fine because I'm sure you haven't, um, the it's a, it's about a group of kids who who feel like outsiders, and one day their mirror glows, and they're and they are able to walk into their mirror, and there is a castle in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a big ocean with no land in sight. It's just a castle, and they're able to go visit this castle uh, every day for a year. And in this castle is this girl uh, that they call the Wolf Queen, uh, this little like 10 year old girl who owns the castle and says, if um, there's a key in this castle and the person who finds this key can grant their wish, any wish they want. But after that wish is granted, you will no longer have access to this castle and you will no longer have these memories. Now, this is all from the trailer. This is the this is all the things the trailer says. Um, That's the setup. And it's. Very good. I really enjoyed it. It's once more one of these kind of slice of life fantasy uh, fantasy animes that I'm kind of I'm really enjoying right now. I really want to see more of them. I'm really seeking them out. Um, and uh, the characters are really fun and they're really interesting. And the animation is really beautiful. There's some stiffness in the character animations, which I didn't care for. It, it I mean, it's a it's most likely a lower budget animated feature. Um, so out and then outside of that, there's some voice acting on our side, on the dubbing side. That's a little awkward. Um, but outside of that, by the end of the movie, uh, you're you're I'm I shouldn't say you're because not everybody's me. I'm a big baby. I'm in tears. Um, I think it's a very beautiful story and a very heartwarming one. Um, I really enjoyed it. If anybody has the chance to see it, most likely on DVD at this point, I highly recommend. What's it people. called again? It's called Lonely Castle in the Mirror. Okay. That's a it's based on really it's based cool off a Japanese title. book. It's based off a Japanese book. Um and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I cannot say too much more. I cannot say too much more than that without spoiling. So 
shall we go into our main topic then? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You wait, wait, wait. You mean our bread and butter? I do mean our bread and butter. Okay. Um. All right. So. The writer's strike has an update, technically, uh, in regards to the Directors Guild of America. Uh, they are not going on strike. In fact, they have voted 87% to ratify the New Deal that we talked about a couple weeks ago that they were that, so that they were given by the AMPTP. Uh, so the DGA will, in fact, move forward with that deal uh, being put into place, and this deal includes just kind of to remind people what this deal includes, it's um, uh, wage increases for every year, uh, AI, it's reaffirming that AI cannot replace a director's job, and um, uh, streaming residuals uh, of up to 76%, I believe. Um, and then this one I didn't know about, which is live animation cannot be used on set. They are banning live ammunition from set. Hmm. Which is in the wake of the Alec Baldwin thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, so, you know, I guess we're not getting our general strike after all. No, uh, and uh, as I uh, uh, I mentioned the the Remap Radio episode with Adam Conover, uh, and he talked about why uh, it's scummy that the DGA is trying to move forward without being in solidarity with the rest of the people. And it's true, because, you know, again, uh, being a director is a, li- a lot more uh, uh, prestigious in Hollywood than being a, one- than being a writer. So uh, it's easier for them to get their due than to help all the people who actually need more help. So that is kind of a bummer. I know there's a bunch of directors online who are like, I said no to it, you know, 80%, that's a, that's majority. That still sucks. Yeah. Um, Hopefully the right, the, the SAG SAG's contract is up, I think July 1st. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we'll see if that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Moving on. Turner classic movies. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, sorry, a couple of months ago at this point, it's been a while. Um, I used to always have a recurring segment on this news since the purchase of, of Warner Brothers, or since Discovery purchased Warner Brothers. That would just be updates of how terrible Warner Brothers Discovery was being every week. Well, it's back. Ladies and gentlemen, the Warner Brothers Discovery section is back. Yeah. <laughs> Turn to classic movies. There have there were this week major executive layoffs at Turner Classic Movies that rightly scared everyone. Uh, these were the uh, executive vice president and general manager uh, Pola Shangnan, uh, SVP, special vice president, probably not senior, senior vice president, senior vice president. That makes a lot more sense. Um, of programming and content strategy, Charles Tebesh, uh, the VP of brand creative and marketing dexter uh fetter the vp of enterprises and strategic partnerships genevieve mc nope mcgillicuddy i've seen that name before mcgillicuddy and the vp of studio production and wilson that was how this that's how this week started and rightfully everybody assumed well that's the end of turn to classic movies Mm -hmm. because this is what david zaslav does Mm mm-hmm well, apparently in response to this, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson got together and set, and held an emergency meeting with David Zaslav uh, to talk about, to explain to him why Turner Classic Movies is so important. It's, uh, they were like, we understand, they released a statement like, we understand that is not a very profitable 
uh, endeavor. It is profitable, however, and has been since its inception. And uh, more than that, it is an important cultural touchstone that preserves film mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. needs to be, and it needs to continue. Um, after that happened, David Zaslav put Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi uh, in charge of Turner Classic Movies. They are in charge of Warner Brothers Pictures. So what they did is they restructured Turner Classic Movies to be under Warner Brothers Pictures. Um, and then Michael Oweline the president of Adult Swim, Cartoon Network, Discovery Family, and Boomerang will assume oversight of Turner Classic Movies. Uh, so add that to his Jesus. long list of things. Um, and he will report to uh, WBD TV Network's chief content officer, uh, Kathleen Finch. And they will handle the business side of things while Michael uh, DeLuca and Pam Abdi handle the content uh, side of things. So not all bad news, thankfully. That were this kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think it's we just have to wait and see how that actually affects TCM in general, right? Um, but yeah. I mean, layoffs are always terrible, but you know. Now I do want to say, Sparks, avid Turner Classic Movies watcher. Um, since I've known you, you constantly had Turner Classic Movies on in the background of your home. Your thoughts, uh, please. I'm dying for this. Um. So it's like. A double-edged sword because some of these layoffs were people who AT&T put in a mm. while ago and weren't necessarily the best, but they also weren't getting in the way. Um, right. But one of them in particular was the person who started the TCM Film Festival, and that's really terrible. <laughs> like, it, we've lost some good minds buying TCM. My, my, I don't think TCM's going away, but my concern is people who don't care about these films getting to run the show yeah um like i'm i'm genuinely afraid of them getting to the point this is what i fear that tcm won't go away but they will get rid of all the hosts and i think that's awful because the hosts are part of what's so wonderful about tcm like it would also be like if i had to pick a gun to my head yes i would rather at least have the channel still playing the classic films however the hosts are there because they are experts they are there to share information, to provide context about how these films were released, about the people behind the making of the films. They are there for special interviews to talk about the culture of cinema and how it has developed over time. I fear losing all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels possible yeah. right now in a way it didn't before. Yeah. It's well, it's what, like Ryan said, it's just one of those things we'll just have to wait and see. Hope Especially- for the best. Especially because, like, under the, the some of the good people who have been there the past few years, about three to four years ago, there was a big push to bring TCM into the modern age and diversify. There's now an emphasis on the C because it's uh, supposed to be em- emphasizing culture as well, which means that a lot more films that were international were starting to be shown on TCM yeah, in a way yeah. that they hadn't been before. Not just, like, old ones, but now now they're closer up into the 80s, right? And mm-hmm. so we're seeing a lot, or, a lot more of like the 50s to 80s range of international films show up on TCM, which hadn't been happening before. And like things by black directors that hadn't been happening before, or female directors that hadn't been happening before, and those kinds of writers and all that kind of stuff. And in that same breath, the hosts expanded. Rather than having like two white male hosts, you have now um, diverse 
there are women and women of color and men of color who are all part of the hosting team for Turner Classic and sharing a lot of this responsibility and sharing a lot of these interviews. So you're not just getting these uh, singular expert perspectives. And so because that roster expanded, that makes me afraid right yeah. now mm -hmm. because we have these wonderful hosts who are bringing so much to the table, but that is a bigger host staff than we had before. Maybe Spielberg saved it. Maybe maybe they all I hope put so. a gun to, to, to the Tesla's head. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> shitty because if you know, like if you were paying attention, the TCM Film Festival happened about last month and Zaslav showed up there talking about how much he cared about the preservation of cinema, <laughs> which is like, oh. uh, it was it was awful. And he was like on stage with Spielberg at the time when this happened. Um, it's it's, it's crappy, guys. It's crappy. It's, it's a crappy thing. And so like, <sighs> I'm hoping that there is enough of a pull to save this from getting yeah. scrapped because this is, I think this channel going away is a big, big blow yeah. that um, film lovers will suffer from. Yeah. I just want one thing to make sense. Zaslav was on stage last month or two months ago at the TCM Festival spouting about how film is even preserved and then does this? Yeah, he's yes. a bullshitter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah he's, 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 <sighs> He's, he's king. He's king. I don't give a fuck. He's king. Yeah. Cosplayer. No, no, I remember. Got I can't. I can't remember where I was, but I was definitely driving through the Warner Brothers or next to the Warner Brothers lot, and I was just flipping that bird as hard as I could in his direction. I, I don't know where his direction is. I just want. Mm. No, I will not, say I'm not. There. I'm not rooting for the Flash to fail. It already. However, did. it already did. However, the bigger bomb that the Flash is, the more likely the shareholders remove Zaslav from his position. Mm -hmm. Please. Which, like, who comes in? Probably not that much better, but at least it wouldn't be Zaslav anymore. It wouldn't be a mercenary. True. I think the thing that's so frustrating about this is that in 10 years, where the hell is Warren Beatty going to air his Dick Tracy special? That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> wherever hey wherever warner brothers sells the rights to next yes <laughs> it'll be on like it'll be on peacock or or oh it'll crackle it'll be a crackle exclusive or in baby's 150th birthday do you know about this ben do you know what we're talking about i, I know dick warren, tracy but i don't know which warren Beatty does a dick tracy special uh every like what decade or so two decades Something like or so? that yeah, uh, every decade or so, he does a special on TCM, and they're not good. But he does okay. it so that he can continue to control the Dick Tracy Just character. to hold the rights. Just to hold uh, the rights. So he gets a special made every time the rights are about to go away, and it airs on TCM. Last year, And it's like, uh, I didn't okay, watch all but of then it. no one can do anything with it. Yeah, I didn't watch all of it, but specifically, it's Warren Beatty interviewing Dick Tracy. As played by Warren Beatty. As played, As by, played by Warren, Warren Beatty. Beatty. He's interviewing himself and he's interviewing the character. And he's like, you know, Warren is pretty crazy being here in New York in 2023. And I'm just like, that's you know, it's, Warren, it's pretty funny. It's, it's pretty weird. It's, it's pretty almost, weird. Ben, it's it's genuinely like on the line of something Adult Swim would do. But mm -hmm. like, yes, he's, he's doing it because like bare minimum to just hold on to the Dick Tracy character for as long as he yeah. possibly can. Because the rights owners of Dick Tracy have wanted him to lapse the rights forever because they want to make a Dick Tracy movie. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to sell, they, they want to give Dick Tracy to someone who will actually make a movie. And Warren Beatty has always said, I'll make that sequel. I'm going to make that sequel because he owns the sole rights right now. And now, and so, but in, in lieu of that, he has just been doing these specials to keep the, to keep the, the so rights. Funny. And I love it. It's so petty. It's really <laughs> funny. That is petty. It's a power it's, move. Like I can only respect it. 
Yeah. It's dumb, but it's I mean it works. What I what I honestly respect more is that Turner Classic Movies has always been like, hell yeah. Sure. We'll put you on <laughs> prime time or because the last one the the the, the one on in like the middle of the night. Yeah, like twelve o'clock. <laughs> the the one that happened before didn't it have the host of Turner Classic Movies interviewing Warren Beatty and yes, the I'm crazy? Pretty sure it's Osborne, yeah. Uh, back back before he passed, I'm pretty sure it's Richard Osborne uh, doing the interview. Yeah, weird. Because he wow. was he was good friends with Warren Beatty. I'm right. pretty sure. I'm pretty is sure Bob he's Briggs? talked about that a lot. Before. Is he on Turner Classic or is that a different channel? He's a horror movie guy. Yeah, oh, he's on. He might be on Shutter now. Yeah, okay. I think he's on Shutter. Okay. Okay. HBO um, news. Warner Brothers Discovery is looking to, is looking into licensing HBO shows and programming to Netflix. This is something that that HBO as a company has said uh, no. Like they said that. I don't know if this is a good idea. Honestly, I don't even actually think this is a bad idea. I don't honestly. This is no no big deal. Like if they're if they don't want to premiere their shows and other people will buy it, sure. Like again, like shows like Westworld. They deserve to be seen. Mm-hmm. You can't just put something like Westworld behind, like, what, that first season is one of the greatest, I've said it a long time, one of the greatest seasons of all time. Uh, and it's just, like, nowhere to be found. You can buy it, but you know what I mean? Like, streaming, like, that's that's crazy. So if I can watch it on Netflix, that's awesome. Like, that's not really, that's a net gain for me, honestly. It's so, if, if, so what's if, interesting about, I just want to, I just want to clarify, Ben, because, because uh, Ryan brought up a previously, something previously uh, taken off of HBO Max. That's not what this was about. This was no. about future things. No. Um, yeah. It is not clear. In fairness, it is not clear if the back catalog of things that were moved from HBO Max or that are on HBO would be included in any such licensing deals. When they were removed, they said, uh, Zaslav, there was a report came out that said that Warner Bros. Discovery was going to license them out to like Tubi and Freebie and like the free services, not Netflix. Yeah. So I'm wondering, could this have just been an evolution of that? But yeah. very specifically, the article that this comes from talks about anything that HBO Max releases from now on. It's really interesting if this seems like a weird way just to get extra money of like the thing that HBO is known for, which is, you know, premiere content that they only they have, they're going to license it to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I think I, that's like that loses the prestige of HBO then. Yeah, it does. You know, like that's like last. If I could watch the last of us on Netflix, then like, why do I need HBO? Right. You know what I mean? Like, and I think HBO is great, and like HBO is has HBO is still the prestige premiere, and others have risen up, but HBO will always be like the number one. Zaslav's ruining it. He made he took the HBO like it's not even HBO anymore; it's Max, right, or whatever. So like, well, the channel HBO is what this is referring to, not the streaming service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just so funny how how HBO used to like have such like like how well regards now. It's just like it's just it's a thing that's on Max. Like whatever. Really, the only thing I was that was hoping for was the back catalog to be able like close enough. Um, what else was taken off of? I really close enough was the, the biggest thing that was taken off of HBO Max, um, because of freaking Zaslav. If that finds a hole in Netflix, I figure that if they want to try and squeeze as much money, just pay a just have Netflix pay a premium. They'll probably pay it, and people can swarm to Netflix. I don't know. I'm sure something like that. I, at this point, I'm a little surprised we haven't heard about what the previously taken off catalog. Now, in fairness, close enough is an HBO Max original, not an HBO original. Right. Um, so it's a so this is talking about just the network stuff, Ben. Uh, this is not talking about the streaming service content. So things like Westworld would be would 
would probably be more more apt than something like close enough yeah. i do think it's possible at this point that close enough could show up again as i said on a freebie on a 2b on something like that mm-hmm. but we'll have to wait and see yeah sparks you're shaking your head you want to say anything no i just hate it <laughs> yeah yeah well i can guarantee you'll probably hate this more i can't say that i really don't know how you're gonna react but whatever H- Warner Brothers Discovery is the latest company to sign a deal with a company called Synalytic, which is, and they will, because of this, they will be able to use Synalytic's AI driven project manage- management system. You guys ever seen Smash, Smash Bros, Smash, that's uh, not Smash, that's not the Space, Space Jam. Jam 2. Space Jam 2. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Do you anyway. remember the plot of the movie? Yeah, it's, it's, Al- Do you remember it's Algae it's, Rhythm. It's Algae Rhythm. I mean, I know that Don Cheadle plays the algorithm, but I don't never yeah, see the movie. Yeah. He's he's an AI who brings uh oh god LeBron. Thank you, LeBron James in and says, LeBron, Hey man, yeah. here are all the projects that my algorithm shows you would do great in. It's basically you doing Game of Thrones or you doing XYZ, blah blah blah. Uh, and we're just gonna subplant you in. That's what they're saying, then they're saying they want to use an AI to tell them what projects to make. Yeah. Right. So, quote, under the New Deal, Warners will leverage the system's comprehensive data and predictive analytics to guide decision making at the green light stage. The integrated online platform can assess the value of a star in any territory and how much a film is expected to make in theaters and on other ancillary streams. Okay, real quick, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this a little bit, which is that part of the focus of this is just a system for showing how uh, the numbers of previous projects have done in what markets and able to calculate them and find patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to an extent, that makes sense. You should have some kind of tool that does that very quickly. That's Moneyball. That's Jonah Hill's character from Moneyball. That's how they won the championship. Mm-hmm. That that part of it makes sense. I don't necessarily begrudge that there is an AI tool for yes. rounding up the numbers so that they can look at all of it and see what performed well where and, and get a better idea of why. That makes sense. The bigger problem is that this is going to be like these numbers are where do the numbers come from? For a while, we've talked about the fact that some amount of box office numbers are not necessarily 100% clear about how accurate they are, um, at least in the way that they are publicly reported. Um, and then if you're breaking it down to like streaming service projects and things like that, we really don't know what those numbers are, or how they're calculated. It's the they kept one, it so yeah. behind for so long. So like how how much is this actually a benefit or how much is this some shady shit that we don't really know how well it's actually surmising for them to determine what projects to make and what projects to not that's my bigger problem with it is that they're saying like it will help them like basically make a decision of like green lighting something and i'm like well i mean it can give you a better idea of like how you're doing but i don't know that you should necessarily use it as the template for go-aheads see yeah. that's why that's why i'm almost 100 percent against this because this is this is being used to avoid taking risks they're going to plug they're going to plug something like evil dead rise in a machine and the machine's going to say evil dead rise will make enough money and then they won't make it. I'm using evil dead rise as an example. I obviously know that movie got made um, and did well. An algorithm can't predict that that movie would have done so well. And so you're not going to get those happy accidents anymore. You're not going to take those risks anymore. That's my fear with this. That's 100% where I'm kind of against this. I agree with Brandon. I'm also hundred percent against this because art 
you need to take a risk in art. You need to take mm-hmm. a risk with film. You need to take a risk with pretty much any creative endeavor. There's always a risk. I mean, yes, the reward could be great, but then if it doesn't work out, you take what you learned and try again. Um, I feel that just plugging stuff into a computer and just, I mean, yes, there needs to be some analytics and I get it. There's a business, you have to make money. You have to, that's how the world, that's how it thrives. And that's how unfortunately our capitalistic hellscape exists. But at the same time, we will not have some amazing films. I don't feel like something like, I mean, this is probably being a way too out there. Like in back in the, if this technology existed back in the seventies, I don't feel star Wars would have been made. I don't know if that. Um, well, no, I mean he's. That's no, I, I don't. True. I don't. No, it's true, but it's it's just yeah. it's that was I know. fifty years ago. I know that was that was almost forty. I mean it's it's. A, I think it's a, I think it's a fair example supplanting yeah. the idea that like yeah. If uh, hypothetically, Ben, to kind of back you up there, if there was an attempt to do Star Wars today, and there had been no Star Wars, there no Star Wars inf- influenced a lot of things. All that influence is gone. All that Star Wars is gone. There would be nothing to for this AI to be like. Yeah, that one will do well. Yeah, and that's um, kind of where I fall flat on this. Yeah, I I think this is a horrible idea. I think that this is, if left unchecked, it could cause crippling damage or even more bureaucratic red tape in the entertainment industry. And there's already enough bureaucratic red tape already. Um, yeah, I don't like that. I I hate it. Get it out of I, here. I mean, I I agree on the points of you know it not being a great direction for things to go. But the thing is that like I think we're kind of in a bad spot in a in a grand way where there's just an aversion towards doing we've talked about a lot there's an aversion towards like the mid-tier projects Mm -hmm. right now and um this is purely driven by like the big things that's that's what they're concerned about is like the big projects and what the money is worth doing for um and it really comes down to that they need to be willing to like small scale down a lot more projects um, or take on a lot more projects that are that smaller scale. Uh, and I think that's a people problem more than it's an AI problem. The AI is not great, but it's the... It's the it's, here's the thing. I don't think I think the antithesis of it is in theaters right now, which is The Flash. It's, yeah, right? that's, like, yes. without, like without the, the early press screenings and the, the word of mouth, right? Let's just go back about five months, right? There's nothing technically on paper that an AI would have looked at and should have said that The Flash would flop. So there is no reason that this AI should be trusted to be able to gauge things like that because the Flash technically should have been a success when gauging the markets of everything else and what they were putting into the film that you would figure audiences would want. On paper, that should have succeeded. See, the thing is, you bring up the the idea that they're not interested in investing in the mid-tier projects. You're right, and I don't think this algorithm is going to fix this. I don't think the AI AI is going to tell you yeah, more more mid level things will will give you more money. And to be fair, as we talked about, like yes, they have an aversion to mid level things. They're they have they are putting way too much money into the into these budgets. Every almost every movie coming out this year has a budget reaching close to three hundred million dollars in budget alone, not counting marketing. That's ridiculous and needs to change. Um, right. But I again, like an algorithm's not going to tell them that. No, I know. I'm saying, I'm saying, like we're in a people problem anyway. Like we're screwed right, right now, either way. Yep. Uh, Dan is in the chat again, saying that everything has to be blockbuster now. They're no longer the exception; they're the norm. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a horror movie. This is this is what the, what what Zaslav wants this to be. Uh, I mm-hmm. I assume 
is is this will tell them how to get another billion dollar hit um you know the joker made a billion dollars and i think that was the last time they hit a billion uh yeah. from a warner brothers film mm-hmm. and a billion is the mark that you that the industry thinks you have to hit in order to be considered a success which again is ridiculous it's insane it's bananas it's uh grayson also has another comment let me pull that up Grayson saying the worst part is moving forward with AI stuff now, the numbers, air quotes, will be skewed because it'll be including more and more AI information. Too much of that and we'll lose potential cult classics. And I also yeah. agree with that. There's, there's Some, that. Also, mean, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Finish. No, up. I was gonna I was gonna say like another film, a more recent film, really that I mean it was hard for us to find it in theaters, but I'm so glad we did was villains. Remember how mm. great that movie is? Yes. That was so damn hard, but it was such a good film films like like yeah low budget great story i mean yes it had a limited theatrical run but at least it had a theatrical run and word of mouth like at least the people we were talking to they went and saw it they're like yeah villains is, don't sleep on villains villains is fantastic i feel like films like villains or smaller films like those they will never see the light of day at least in a theatrical release because of this ai thing because of course big studios all they care i mean all they care about is money and it, I want, I, I, you're kind of you're kind of rambling a little bit, so I want I to cut you off so we could get uh, Sparks to say what he wanted to say. What I was gonna say is just that you know we've already had proven companies that are right now trying to implement AI tools, things like ChatGPT, to do resumes or script doctoring, all these kinds of things that we already know are being used for, and they're imperfect, and they've already been shown to have flaws. Which means this AI probably is going to have flaws and not. Uh, be able to run the numbers the way they think it will. So it's either going to fail them or it's going to run for a while. But as we said, like the predictability is wrong. Box office numbers and box office predictions have been wrong for freaking ever. Like there's no way they're going to be able to predict what is going to be a hit and what isn't Um, unless it has Spider-Man in the title. Like there's no guarantee. Remember Guardians. Mm. And especially uh, post-pandemic. Like like the num- the pandemic num uh, the film industry has not bounced back from the pound from the pandemic, and that's not because the movies aren't there. It's not the movies' fault; it's the people's fault. Oh, flash! But still, like still, like it's the fact that people aren't. There, there's not a lot of people going to the movies right now because a, 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 an executive decision made them lose faith in going to see the movies first. Well, and not like, a, not a computer's decision. Mario made a billion. Well, I also I also do want to point out because this comes up a lot and like there's a lot of movies out right now and there's a lot of movies I wish everybody could see. And yeah. to be fair, there are some mid-tier films out right now. We talked about one of them earlier, The Blackening. Um No uh Hard Feelings is coming out right now. Mm-hmm. Um and then um Polite Society came out earlier this year. And like those are mid-tier films that like we we want them to do well in Straight that kind dogs. of thing. But uh yeah, exactly. But um, the bigger problem is that, um, frankly, we are still in the midst of, like, a terrible inflation that has happened Mm. in this country, um, specifically in America. I can't speak for the whole world, but I think everybody kind of felt it when the Ukraine war started and they decided to bump up the gas prices. And I think that happened everywhere. And so, like, once that happened, everything else also started to hit an inflation point. And so the thing is, like, the cost of living for everyone is just higher. Mm. And so you have to be judicious about how you spend your money if you're going to the cinema. And that makes it a challenge too. It's not necessarily just the pandemic and the fact that people are still apprehensive or feel like maybe I should just watch it at home kind of thing. Sometimes that's the only option. They have to be selective about what they can see. And the film market and the people behind it are not anticipating that. I want to clarify my statement, Sparks, because you, you, what you said was against what was a complete destroyal of the statement that you thought I said. But what I wanted to be clear about is that 
the uh, people aren't apprehensive because of a pandemic people are people are apprehensive because the pipeline from movie from theater to streaming is broken because an executive said within three weeks this movie will be in streaming anyway so why go see it in the theaters which is why the numbers aren't bouncing back the way they should have no i I wasn't trying to destroy what you said i was trying to add to it because there are still people who don't want to go to a movie theater because they are still conscious about the pandemic Hmm. or they are people who are immunocompromised and they can't go to a theater because we are still in the pandemic. And so like all of these things are still factors. My point just being like, you can't expect blockbuster numbers week after week when people can't afford it. People don't have a reason to trust it. And people are still afraid of for their own health to go out that often in public. Yeah. Um, Last thing I want to bring up on this one is that Synalytic has already, we, we are going off on the full film industry. It is important to for me to clarify at the end of this topic that this is just a Warner Brothers thing. Um, I, we're not seeing Paramount and Universal doing this right now. For uh, now. I use I use the words right now because if this seemingly if this seemingly works and they probably will. Um, David Zaslav just likes jumping the gun. Synalytic, however, has already made deals with the lower budget studios in uh, Ingenious Media, Productivity Media, and STX. Specifically, STX was mentioned in the article that I read because they signed on after two of their 2019 films, Playmobiles and Ugly Dolls, bombed at the box office. So I guess if, they, if I guess if an AI can tell them not to make a movie based on Playmobiles, maybe that'll help. Yo, man, the Lego, again, like you have one success, like the Lego movie, and then other people want to try to do the same thing, but with lots of products. Why do I think I know what a Playmobil toy is? It's lesser. It's lesser like Lego. Shit, like a shit Lego. It's like a shit Lego. Okay. Fatter Legos. Wait, is that the dude with the like the spherical, like the orb heads? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. the orb oh. bodies and the little and like the the orb like the the everything is circular. Yeah, that's Daniel Radcliffe was the orb man in the movie. Seriously, yeah. I wouldn't lie to you. That's true. Uh, all right, let's move on though, because there are some there are some other there's some other news. Craig Mazin will get a script credit on Dune Part 2 because he helped punch up some things in the epilogue specifically. Oh, oh yeah. Ooh, Daddy Craig, Last of Us. That Sorry, I just... All right, last little thing. I just Googled Playmobil toys. I remember when I was a kid, I really wanted the castle set. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Well, anyway, we're not talking about that anymore. We're talking about Dune Part 2 because Craig yeah. Mazin, the uh, creator of um, Chernobyl and The Last of Us uh, adaptation, is working on the script for this movie. Yep. That banger is going to be even more of a banger. That dude's incredibly talented. <clears throat> that that script was probably cool. And he's like, yo, can you make it cooler, Craig? Because you're a cool dude who does cool stuff. And he's like, hell yeah. Uh, and Paddington 3 is moving into production as they've started casting characters. Uh, Olivia Coleman has been cast as the uh, as the owner of the Barry Retirement Home in Peru. Love it. Is the uh, director coming back? No, he is not. He's doing Wonka. Mm. He's doing Wonka. Well, but Wonka's almost. I bad. know, I know. You're, you're I'm still mad about it. Sure, I'm still mad about this. All I right. should bring up who the who the uh, new director is, though, because it is not. Um, God, I forgot the guy's name already. The guy who did Paddington two and three. Jonathan Pad Smith. One and two. I should mean. I should say. <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right. Oh yeah, it's called Paddington in Peru. So it's not Paddington three. It's called Paddington in Peru. Dougal Wilson is directing it, uh, and he directed uh, nothing. Okay, 
Good luck. I'm sure he's done something. I mean, yeah, his IMDb is filled with short films and and um, uh, music videos and things like that. And but this is his first big one. Yeah. Cool. Um. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Antonio Banderas and Rachel Ziegler have been cast in the film. Oh my God! Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love them. Thank you. What? A, what? All three great casting. Time to catch up in Paddington, mm-hmm. one of the most wholesome franchises ever made. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen the second one yet, right, Sparks? You've seen the first one. That's correct. Right. I also yeah. haven't seen the second one. Oh, I just assume it's wholesome. It's our next franchise watch. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I haven't seen any of them. It's our next then, franchise watch, guys. Then nobody's surprised. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> at the table is surprised. <laughs> oh, man. I think you'd be surprised if I just piked up and piked up and say, oh, yeah, I saw both of them. I would have been, Ben. I was waiting for that hand raise to be, I've actually seen both of them. And I was being like, wow, wow Ben. <laughs> yeah, Paul but, King was the director of the first two. And after Wonka, he's going into a Fred Astaire biopic with uh, Tom Holland, I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Maybe Tom Holland's finally going to mean something good. I think <laughs> he's a really good casting he's like, choice for Fred Astaire. Yeah, I'm excited for him to actually like, go back to like like theater stuff. Yeah. Yeah. God. yeah, I'm excited about that. Final bit of casting notes for uh, Paddington in Peru. Sally Hawkins will not return as Mary Brown, Mrs. Brown. Instead, Aww. it will be replaced by Emily Mortimer. Do we know why? We don't know why. I looked. Okay. I can I can only assume it's something. It's like scheduling. I would only hope because like it's MonsterVerse. She's in the MonsterVerse again. She's resurrected. Yeah, she's resurrected from <laughs> her death. And well, she could show up a monarch. I guess. I just wanted to know. Yeah. Like I was like, is it a health issue? Oh yeah, yeah. Thing, so mm. no. Emily Mortimer's great. So that's cool. Emily Mortimer is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scream Three's Emily Mortimer. I know her from um, Network Newsroom. Yeah. Newsroom, newsroom, yeah. newsroom. Yeah. Also but, from Cars Two, also from Friends, and also, many other things. So many, so many things. Also from Cars Two. Yep. She that's, made, that's, she's made her's girlfriend, y'all. I want, dude, oh. I want a pie. It's me, Emily Mortimer from Cars Two. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on. Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Oh man, the best movie of the year. Only good news about one of the best movies ever made, right guys? Sparks uh, accurately stated that this is a depressing week. I have linked the entire Vulture article down below. I do not talk about all of it here. If you want to read the whole thing, I implore you to do so. So, about five animators, four or five animators have come out about unstable working conditions uh, at Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse production, which caused 100 artists to leave the film. Why not? They were forced to work 11-hour days, seven days a week. Uh, One account said that they were, that new hires would have to sit around for six weeks before they got any work to work on, and that made their work hours even longer because by that point they'd be behind schedule. Um, revisions from Phil Lord kept coming up until the last minute, so it's very hard to do revisions for an animated feature, especially when you have picture lock, because you gotta go all the way back. Especially a movie that looks like this. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta really, like, go back to almost square one to do those revisions. Um, Phil Lord, uh, because of this, Phil, it's stated that Phil Lord had um, more creative control on the film than the three credited directors, uh, so he had to have final say on every shot. In every sequence. Chris Miller, his writing partner and producing partner, uh, was apparently, quote, MIA uh, for a lot of this production. Mm-hmm. So he 
bounced out pretty early in the production and wasn't seen again. Um, Lord, I already said that Lord won a final approval. So that's what the that's what the animator said. Here's Amy Pascal. Amy Pascal, she'll say Everyone, something cool, right? Everyone's favorite. She'll say something nice and heartwarming. And be like, hey, we understand it was hardworking conditions. No, she we won't, won't do this. <laughs> we won't. We won't do this again. She's a boomer. It's <laughs> true. Amy Pascal quote: If the story isn't right, you have to keep going until it is. I guess welcome to making movies. End quote. She's in her sixties. She's full of shit. So, so one, she is right about one thing. Like you do work on a story till it's right, but you don't overwork and you don't crunch and you don't treat people with disrespect. Because mm-hmm. like I retweeted something about David Lynch. David Lynch closed his set every day at five o'clock, and that dude always met his his times and he's always loved by people and he always got his projects done because he you knows how to manage projects. This anytime a director or anybody like you know, I'm not a director, but like. Anytime like anything like this happens, it's mismanagement. It is not, it is not anyone else's fault, but the person upstairs. Uh, so like this is really disheartening to hear because I love Lord Miller. Like like everything they've done, and even still across the Spider Verse is still it, like maybe the best movie of the year, right? Right. To hear this is really disheartening, and it makes me think that those three directors, uh, like we need to be talking about their names way more than than Phil Lord and Chris Miller's names, which is uh, true because I don't even know their names probably. Well, but the, what they're saying is that basically Lord was the director. Yeah, that's that's. That's so crazy. That's so wild. And like, dude, watching some interviews, like, it's, it, it, Phil Lord does seem like the dude like who was doing more than most of the talking. So I'm like, that does seem to make a little more sense. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Amy Pascal also denies the uh, allegations that they were working up until the last minute. Yeah, uh, of course she does. She would. Um, yeah. So importantly, because we're about we're talking about this, um, Sony Pictures Animation um, has just negotiated a deal with the Animation Guild, the tag. Um, uh, so they have restrictions and rules against things like this. However, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is not animated by Sony Pictures Animation. It's just distributed by it. The, the company is called Imageworks, which is not a union studio. Oh. Which is why these which is why these working conditions happened. That sucks, dude. And, and like, on any big project you're working on, like, especially if you're working on, like, the sequel to End of the Spider-Verse, like, you want to work on that thing, dude. You want to show how good you are, but, like, Dude, working 11 hours, we're not having a day off working 11 hours a day. Are you kidding me, dude? Like, I work like seven, eight hours a day and I hate it. Like, that's, that's, that's enough for me, bro. I, I do days off. That's straight up inhumane. Yeah. That is straight up inhumane. It's You should not be able to do that. Working what? that long in front, I mean, animation, with animation, I can only imagine you're hunched over a computer screen just trying to do as much as you humanly possibly can. That's, yeah. you can't do that. Well, and like it's the same thing that happens in video games, and in general, is yeah. that like the the people higher up take advantage of people who, like you said, have sequel to into the Spider Verse. They take advantage of people's will willingness to want to work on something and make something beautiful, yeah, um, and make art, and they take advantage of it when unions aren't a tool that they can use to intervene on their behalf. Um, it is like you know, like I know it's been like soft talked about amidst you know what's going on with the writer strike and soon the screen actor strike, but like also true in our film and television industry is our animation teams need a lot of support because they have the least protections in the industry. Yeah, yeah. This includes visual effects, um, all of them. They all right. have the least protections. Animation writers are part of the animation guild, not the writers guild, which is wrong. That's that's i did not that's weird that's you're you're writing you're a what that's so dumb yeah that's why all the that's why all the animation writers rooms are still going 
man yeah it's rough that's crazy it's it's serious change needs to come and it's like it's awful that like such an incredible film has such a shitty truth behind it of because yeah. it was like work went. in the midst of everything happening it's like look at what it can look at we can do without ai look what we could do but it's like no we still treat people like shit i'm like nobody wins nobody um, wins Dan's in the chat saying hearing all that Spider-Verse news earlier in this week was such a heartbreaking disappointment. And I completely agree because yeah, it was the, the across the Spider-Verse was that film was like, look how amazing this is. Look how this is like a big budget, big time comic book, comic book film that is art at the exact same time. It was a great thing to sit down and watch. It was fantastic. It was phenomenal, amazing, spe- spectacular. All the, the Spider-Man memes abound. And to hear this is like a punch to the gut. Mm-hmm. Now, in fairness, this does not diminish the movie's quality. And it should not. It it is yeah. it, it, it should not diminish the movie's quality because these animators who were overworked still worked hard on this film. And, and, and they created a work of art that should be celebrated. Oh, but yeah. what needs to be talked about is these working conditions need to change. Yep. Mm-hmm. Also, um, as as I know someone in the midst of who was talking for this said, no way we're getting part two next year. Oh, yeah, yeah, so that was my next thing. That was like oh. immediately what I was going to go to next, which is um, one animator specifically on this said that uh, it's highly unlikely that Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse will meet its deadline, its release date, because the only prog- quote, the only progress that's been made on the third one is any exploration or test that were done before the movie was split into two parts. Right. Haley Steinfeld, like, also recently said that she hadn't recorded any lines for the next part. So, like, yeah, that movie's not coming out next year. Yeah. No. Generally, like, voice act, especially with animation, like, voice acting is, like, you know, one, 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 one of the earlier things you do. So that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I when I read this, I, I knew that this movie is going to be delayed, and honestly, it should be because we should not be because if they are delayed, uh, if they if they are delayed, that decreases the amount of crunch that they will have to do. You hope delay these kinds of delays are always good. Yeah, right. I saw a tweet from someone I follow on Twitter where I mean it, it pertains to video games, but I feel that this also kind of applies as well. Where like back in the day when you hear news about a game being delayed, you're like, oh man, no, I want to play it now. Today's day and age, when you hear that a game is being delayed, you go, oh, thank God. Yeah. It's um it's it's real quick, I just want to piggyback off what you're saying, Ben, because it's becoming more and more true as we are in this blockbuster movie moment that we've been talking about tonight. Like, what is one of the big problems? These movies usually don't gestate long enough for them mm-hmm. to recognize what's good about it and what's not good about it. They rush it out. Ghostbusters is filming to come out this year in December, y'all. Like that movie there, I'm not saying that movie's going to be bad necessarily, but it's probably not going to be like a work of art. Um, and work of art, works of art take, take time. Yeah. Like incredible films take time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's why when, when Marvel pushed their entire slate back the first time, not this last time we were all kind of and they said specifically is to give these people more time i was like good yeah Mm -hmm. good you need it oppenheimer and barbie take time yeah yeah if this a if across the spider-verse like let's say it doesn't even come out let's say it doesn't come out till 22 years from now 2025 that's fine 2026 even if you if you like i honestly i still never believed that i was going to get an incredible into the spider-verse two times in a row like it was year to year like i still didn't believe that so the fact that like Besides this shit, like I figured it would get delayed anyway. Because so, like, like 
I thought when they first made the when they first made the announcement that the next one it would be a year and it would be a year apart. I figured like, oh, you're animated both at the same time. You cut them in half. Yes, that's what you're doing, right? That makes a lot of sense. But no, that's not what they're doing. They're not even done with the movie yet. I, I thought like we all assumed like yeah they're doing the Lord of the Rings thing or doing them back to back. I'm like, no, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. um, it, it's really, it really is a bummer. But yeah, all right. I had, so, I had something I wanted to add, but I completely forgot what it was. I can't That's wait cool. until the day when Amy Pascal and Avia Rad have nothing to do with Spider-Man anymore. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? I don't even uh, need to leave Sony. I just want a different person running the show. Yeah. I remember when Amy Pascal um, got fired from her position as like the chief whatever of Sony Pictures. Um, and the the her severance package was Spider-Man. So she made Pascal pictures so that she could keep producing Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not. She should not have survived that email scandal. No, she shouldn't have. Um, okay, this was a couple of weeks ago. We're moving on. Yes. This is no longer Warner Brothers Spider-Man stuff. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago, and I forgot to put it on. And I double-checked because I thought I did, but I didn't. But Captain America, the ongoing comic book title, has a new creative team. Oh, yeah, this 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 is old, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a couple weeks old, but we did not talk about it. And I wanted to bring it up because the last time we talked about this, it was just Jackson and Lan- ja- uh, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly leaving the title. Mm-hmm. So now we know that uh, J. Michael Shazinski and Jesus Saez 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 or yeah yeah Saez. I haven't heard it but yeah uh, I'll say Saez. Um, they are they are going to be the new creative team on Steve Rogers Captain America. I love it. Uh, he's uh, he's an older guy. He's definitely of the the older generation of writers, but um, he's a classic writer. He does my favorite. He is my favorite Spider Man run from the early 2000s. Absolutely. So so like, uh, I I would like a more you know fresher newer take, but like him, he's not a bad choice whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Straczynski doesn't name. always hit. We we did a long time ago long book club on on his like five volume, uh, Rising Stars. Rising Stars. Yeah. Uh, oh the, right. Yeah yeah <sighs> yeah. Uh, and like you know, there were good things and there were like eh, things. Um, yeah. And so like, but I like his superhero stuff. Yeah, his, it, odds are that it'll be strong. J. Michael Straczynski is having a good year with this in the Babylon Five movie. Yeah, lucky him. Yeah, I was just gonna say, "Is like, wow, Straczynski's a name I have not heard in a long time." Yeah, uh, I'd read the uh, description, but it's just it's Captain America story. Sure, mm-hmm. it's uh, Cap. I'll, El Muerto. El Muerto. El Muerto news, guys. El Muerto. Is not happening. Bad Bunny, the actor who was the actor who was going to be El Muerto, has left the project. Yeah. The role will be recast because I guess Sony is uh, very gun ho on this one. Yeah. They also pulled El Muerto off their calendar. This movie oh, yeah. will not happen. So like, yeah, uh, Bad Bunny, he was like, it was not his idea, but like he like he was producer and he was like shepherding it in. So like the fact that he's leaving, like I don't really care, but like I'm always open minded, like whatever it is. If you have passion behind it, the fact that he's gone, like I just I now nah, I really don't I, care. I take it back. In about ten years, this movie will get made, and it'll have almost nothing to do with the source material. It was oh the on, one comic and absolutely yeah. zero to do with anything Spider Man related. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't think anyone's going to be sad about losing that. No, no, not this one. Solar Opposites has recast Justin Roiland's character with Dan Stevens. I mean, that's a big upgrade. That's a mm-hmm. that's even even if Justin Roiland wasn't a big uh, shithead, that's still a pretty awesome upgrade in my opinion. I love Dan Stevens. Uh, that's great. I watched that clip. I'm not going to watch that show. I know people like that show. I'm sure it's a good show. But I'm like, 
that's how you do it. Just like don't just just change it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just Who shoot cares? him in the throat. Just shoot him in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> don't even. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I love the um. Uh, so there's a um. So there. So real quickly, I I watched all of the all of the Wizards of Arcadia, the Tales of Arcadia series, which included trolls, troll hunters. Troll hunters starred Anton Yelchin before he passed away. He had recorded seventy five percent of the show, uh, prior to his passing, and when he passed they replaced him with speed racer what the hell is that kid's name uh um, it is emile hirsch yes emile hirsch thank you um i'm so glad we were on the same page like speed racer <laughs> um and ben's like uh you no no i've seen alpha it dog because that alpha dog starring him and justin timberlake mm. yeah. um they <laughs> the uh the the thing that happened is to explain it they were like here's some troll dust we're going to make we're going to spew some troll dust on you and it's going to have some weird side effects like make you stronger and it will maybe change your voice and so they spray the troll dust on him he coughs and he's emile hirsch sure um and so i watched that clip i was like oh this is just troll hunters they just did the troll hunters thing again which is i think great i love the clip i did watch the whole uh, this first season i liked it enough uh, since we're telling wonderful animation stories where this happens, I'll make this very quick. Yeah. Um, the first time in Amazing World of Gumball where the voice actors were getting too old and they couldn't do the voices anymore because they're kids mm -hmm. and they were hitting puberty and like their their voices had been pretty dominant in like the the deeper range for the like last ten episodes. Um, the last episode is about them uh, basically being afraid about becoming adults and change, and then. Um, they're singing a song about the doom of it. And all of a sudden there's like a glitch while they're in the midst of the final verse of the song and their voices go back to being high and the world brightens up all of a sudden. They're like, Oh my gosh, we've, we've restored our youth. We're going to be young forever. We'll never die. And then they're like, uh, we'll never grow old. Oh, what does this mean? Yeah. And then that's, that's like the end of a season. And then it's these new voice actors playing, the, playing the parts. That's cute. That's really funny. I love it when they do stuff like that. That that just that that that's that that joke is really funny when when they're when they're just like, does he sound different to you? I guess this is just his voice now. Yeah, this is just how it is now. All right. Oh man, I was actually kind of hoping we wouldn't have any more depressing news. I really didn't sprinkle this in very well. Should have organized this better. That's okay. Um, five, four. Yeah, four Paramount Plus originals have are going to be removed from the streaming service after being canceled um, by the end of the month. Yep, uh, they are Queen of the Universe, the game. Sorry, the crackling's back. It's a little distracting. Um, the the game Greece, the Rise of the Pink Ladies, which just had its final episode on June first, um, and Star Trek Prodigy, which had been at, which had been renewed for. 10 episodes to add to make the first season 20 and then and then renewed again for another 20 episode second season and is now canceled before that second season can finish post-production mm. now that how is still going to finish post-production yes yeah. yes so the, the so the show will continue to pay the money for the final few weeks of post-production will finish its post-production and be able to all of these shows will be able to sell to another network or streaming service that are being released from paramount I would not be surprised if the Star Trek one gets reversed. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't there's be surprised. A lot, if there's a gets... lot of buzz about that one in particular, where people are like, it makes no sense for all the episodes of Star Trek to be in one place, except this one. Yeah. It yep. just doesn't make sense. Why would you shop it somewhere else? And canceling it is so weird. Like, like releasing it from the streaming service is one thing, but canceling it, I understand they're allowing them to finish the post-production, but they, they renewed it twice before yep. this. What, 
what what happened? Like, why did they decide like, now is the time to remove it? And again, it goes back to this tax break thing that all these all these streaming services I, are doing. I, I think it becomes a cost measuring thing of like, it's both like what is going to save the most money and what do we think is going to get the least amount of backlash at the point that they decide to make the decision. And I think they genuinely were just like, Star Trek Prodigy is probably okay. Like, we can probably make that choice. Mostly kids watch it. I think and then it like, went south very quickly. Yeah, I think it's like, oh, it's the kids one. Who cares about that one? Right, but it's yes. like, actually, like, people do care about it. Right. People yeah. want their Star Trek shows where, where the Star Trek shows are supposed to be. Yeah. Now, I will say real quick on the note of Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies, that's a real bummer. Um, my wife and sister-in-law watched the first few episodes this weekend and they told me kind of not surprised this got canceled. Um, and so I'm like, I, I don't know. I didn't watch it, but that's, I saw that's couple, the words I was told. I did see a couple clips online besides the one, uh, AI face guy. Oh my God. That's um, so bad. And it just looks like he's apparently like one of the main dudes. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, that's great. It's not even, he's, he's top tier. Ooh. Very important character. How long do I have to watch that, that, that show? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I can't do that. Um, the only thing, the only thing that there are people look, there's people who like everything. So like, yeah. there are people who like Rise of the Pink Ladies, and and rightfully so, they're baffled by the decision to remove from the streaming service. Sure, not not a month after it finished its first, its first season. That part's crazy. No, it's nuts. Like, uh, and yeah, and removing Prodigy, which was a Nickelodeon show, not a Paramount Plus show, is look. I know, I know. I didn't love Prodigy. I liked Prodigy. I think Prodigy is a very good show. I also think it's a very good gateway Star Trek for kids, which is what it was meant to be. The, the allow kids to get into Star Trek and to lose that is it really sucks for the longevity of the of this franchise because most of Star Trek outside of Strange New Worlds. Oh, never mind. I guess they're just going to do comedies from now on because it's just Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks left. That's literally it. Without Star Trek Prodigy, there's just the two shows right Warehouse. now, which is Strange New Worlds. Warehouse Thirty One. Section 31. Well, aren't they still looking at making Starfleet Academy? So they did say in the same article, Paramount did release a statement saying that they are committed to doing Section 31, the Section 31 movie and Star the Starfleet Academy show. But I don't believe you anymore because you canceled the show you had just renewed. Yeah, so Star Trek Prodigy is interesting because, like, they can't get the same tax break, right? Like, it's not mm -hmm. a tax write-off. It's out on Blu-ray for the first 10 episodes, and they're talking about giving it to someone else, which means that it'll still exist. They basically just want someone else to be paying the residuals. Oh, because sure. they, can't, they can't tax write it off because the show won't go away, mm -hmm. unlike the others. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will get picked up by another network, or it will be reversed. I'm sure something will happen to allow Prodigy to exist. Those are 20... That's 20 already made episodes. Yeah. Uh and that are that are just ready to be released. And I, I I'm sure it'll happen. It's just it's just baffling more than anything. Yeah. I agree. What's that? And again, one? it's like uh, it's the it's the iceberg of once one company did it, everybody followed suit. Not not like months after, like weeks after. Yeah. It was like they they just they were waiting for it, and it's like, oh hell yeah, let's let's butcher this, let's butcher this company, every single one of them, from small to big. I'm just like, man, nobody's safe. It sucks. Ben, you were about to say something. I was gonna make a um, South Park dum da dum 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 joke because this oh. I I will always say that taking your original content off your streaming service, which it, what it was made for, is dumb. I will yeah. I will put out a quick hypothesis that I think. Part of the reason the AMPTP is not returning to the table with the Amped. writers is because ultimately they know they're going to hold out. Um, and I do think that they know that this is a losing fight to an extent. 
they are giving all of the studios an opportunity to kind of call out projects while they can and shore up money where they can yes which i think is part of the reason this is happening in such quick succession they're trying to clean house that's smart before they have to go back to the table and accept paying residuals on what's left (laughs) because if there's no shows to pay residuals for they can hire everyone back and it's no big deal so someone did mention this and i do want to bring it up because taylor taylor sheridan talked a little bit about how he doesn't want he doesn't want um uh, he's not for the writer strike, and he doesn't want minimum writing rooms because he sa- he says he writes everything on his own, on his own. He also has a thirty thousand dollars ranch in Los Angeles, so you know. He also uh, uses his ranch uh, to uh, to sh- uh, film seventy one other shows and pay and gets paid for it. So that dude's like a multi millionaire. Uh, he, he hey, writers are allowed to like if you're a solo writer, that's cool. But just the fact that because you don't like writers' rooms doesn't mean that you can just like. Shit on the writer's strike. That's also someone. Someone rightfully said, "Just hire them, pay them, and don't let them do anything." They would be very happy to do that. Yeah, he's that guy. Uh, I, he's an interesting guy. So okay, but I bring that up only because someone did. Someone brought up a tweet that I thought was very funny, which was, "If I find out that Star Trek Prodigy that these shows are being canceled because they want to pay for another Taylor Sheridan show, where he has four on Paramount Plus alone." Uh, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. What are all of his shows? Tulsa King, Mayor of Kingstown, 1923, and 1883. Oh, he's that guy. He's he all of them. There's just no way this guy's that good of a writer. Uh, I really like 1923 and 1883. But oh, like, I know. I'm just saying, like, there's no way that he's writing it all by himself. No. And then there, and he and he's directing. He directs some of them too. I'm like, here. I don't. Okay. Yeah. This does explain some of the really gross white conservatism i've seen in some of the projects that in yellowstone about. specifically yeah oh yeah because yeah. he also he's the yellowstone guy yep um okay uh you guys talk about nintendo direct now <clears throat> yeah <laughs> okay so this past week we had our summer yeah the summer nintendo direct we had about 40 minutes of content about games that are coming out this year game a few games that are coming out next year and some things that are also coming out later on the page there's really only three things that i really want to talk about not to say um ill of like say pikmin uh like pikmin 4 is coming out this year that's a big thing uh, but also pikmin 1 and 2 hd have been were shadow dropped the same day on nintendo eShop, which is great for people who've never played pikmin me but the first um the first gamecube games on the switch yep the first two gamecube games are on switch and i believe pikmin 3 was remade for switch 2 because that if i remember no, correctly was a wii u game right it was yes i just wanted to clarify that they are the first gamecube games available mm-hmm. for switch very true very true which hopefully means we'll get more gamecube game actually no sunshine super mario sunshine was part of the 3d collection right i mean i mean purely as purely as game. yeah 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 you yeah. get what i mean yeah so the three that i want to talk about are the super mario rpg remake star ocean second story r and super mario brothers wonder and i want to start off with the super mario rpg remake because that came out of left field and everyone on the internet was jumping for joy myself included now i already have a way to play super mario rpg legend of seven stars thanks to my super nintendo mini Mm -hmm. but the way this game looks the way that it's the HD fight it up and the way that a brand new generation can experience this game makes me so happy 
because so many hardcore old old retro fans will die on the hill that Super Mario RPG is one of the best RPGs that they've ever that Square and Nintendo have ever made because this game was developed by Square back it's in the day. It's one of the best Mario games ever made too. I will I will I will, I will say that. Mm-hmm. So and people have been because originally I I love watching. Um, reactions when this game came up because so many people were like oh yeah then we're gonna get super mario on the on the uh snes app for the nintendo switch online okay we have another way to play it and then it turns princess peach turns into hd and everyone goes what yeah and unfortunately i i knew about this because it got leaked like a week ago mm-hmm. uh so like i if when it got when it when i saw it happening i was like hell yeah the rumor was true uh, but like it wasn't a surprise for me just because you know I, I listen to a lot of video game podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. I never I don't talk about everything I play because I just do a lot of stuff. But I played about half of Super Mario RPG before the Mario movie came out. I just didn't talk about it. That game's great. Um, it, I didn't play it all the way through because it's it is a little dated. Uh, it's not bad. It's just it is a it is a '90s RPG, so it's just it's old. It's just old, right? Um, yeah. And I got a lot of games to play. Uh, it's really charming. It is incredibly well written. Um, and if you just translate that to a modern game. Um, uh, 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 I I think it's going to be incredible. I think uh, with a, with a fresher look, I will I can play through mm-hmm. that whole game easy. Yeah. What especially with how Nintendo at least when when Nintendo when they do remakes and when they do remasters and re releases, they do add a little a bit of extra. Like the, obviously the first trailer is just like, hey, we're doing the thing, and then like say trailer two because the game is slated to come out November seventeenth, I believe. Yeah, November seventeenth. Yeah, two, two Mario games back to back. That's crazy. Hey, two days after my birthday. Yay. And three days after Brandon's, um, the biggest Mario fan. Ben, yeah, the Ben's thing right now, like this is what I want for my birthday. You all heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me like five copies of the same game, please. Um, <laughs> That's too much money, bro. <laughs> That's too much. Um, uh, what was it? But yeah, what, knowing Nintendo and their tr- and their track ben, record, I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! As I was saying. Knowing Nintendo's track record, they are going to put in some quality of life improvements, some modern improvements to the game to make the game a little bit easier to play for modern audiences. I can only assume what those be. I don't know it because I've never played the original, but seeing this definitely wants me to to fire up my mini and hit, and hit start on one of the best RPGs ever made. Or you can just wait a couple months to play the new one. Or that. You don't need to play the same 40 RPG twice in a year. That's all I'm saying. Ben, ben who's like, Jedi Survivor and Final Fantasy 16 seem cool. <laughs> <laughs> Miles Morales, don't need it. I'll uh, go into Spider-Man 2 blind. Yeah, that's true. Uh, to be honest, I told myself I wasn't going to buy Final Fantasy 16 until I beat Survivor. Hey, I, that, hey I, I'm almost done with Zelda. And then so, like, you I did it, it anyway. <laughs> no, no, I still don't own the game. I still do not own that game. Yeah, yeah. But moving on to the other game, what I don't have a whole lot to say because I don't know who else on this show is also a Star Ocean fan. I love Star Ocean. The first Star Ocean game I played was Till the End of Time on the PS2. I also and... played that, but that was the last one I played. Okay. That what I have a few of I have um Star Ocean First Departure R, which is a remake of the first Star Ocean game on my PS5, ready to go. Once again, timing. But the second story is a game that going online and talking to other RP big RPG fans, it's like that is the game that is like one of the best star ocean games ever made it's a playstation one original or it or at least it was originally released for the playstation one but they're remaking it for all consoles not just switch it's gonna be on playstation and xbox as well and what i love about it is the art style a lot of people are kind of giving the art style a little bit of flack because it's 3d background with 2d pixel um characters yeah honestly i love it i love the pixel art aspect of it i love the pixel art and the um 
and the photo and the semi photo realistic backgrounds. What did Grayson say now? Uh, <laughs> that's extremely so funny. That's so funny. I know exactly ben, the meme. Ben, ben, we ben. have to take that picture. <laughs> so okay, so for the audio listeners, Grayson is saying someone has to make that Drake meme with Ben where he refused to play new games but lives in retro territory. <laughs> yeah. That's a good that's a good one, Grayson. That's a good one. That is a good you know what? I'll accept that. That is a great meme. That that would be a hilarious meme. Someone make that. Um but yeah. I'm looking forward because Star Ocean, the second story on the PlayStation, is pretty hard to find a nuzzle, pretty expensive. Last time I saw it, it was about $75 to $100, and it's a multi-disc game, too. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to finally play it, and it's coming out later this year, so woohoo. Woohoo! Speaking of wahoos. Speaking of wahoos, guys, <laughs> I did put a thing on my Twitter, which Sparks definitely had a thing about me asking for the moon. <laughs> but one thing came true, and that is a new Mario game was announced. I didn't I want I, I want to clarify, Ben. It's because it was like the only thing I really need is a new Mario game and an announcement about Metroid Prime 4 and an announcement about Metroid Primes 2 and 3. There weren't ors. <laughs> they were ands. <laughs> they were because uh, we did get any Metroid news, bummer. But once I'm pretty sure that's still coming. But anyways, we did get the new Mario game though. And it was a 2D Mario game. And it was definitely something that I'm excited for because we haven't had a new 2D Mario game, I wanna say, since I mean I we know like new Super Mario Brothers Wii U Deluxe came out, and that is a 2D Mario game for the Nintendo Switch, but that's a remake of a Wii game or a Wii U game specifically. But this is a hundred percent brand speaking new called Super Mario Brothers wonder and the big new gimmick of this game is something called the wonder flower Wars. once you get it you have all sorts of crazy stuff happen mario can like i think it just depends on where you are in the level like we saw in the trailer mario can go from regular height to like super elongated um you grab the flower the pipes to have those um classic power-up eyes and they start moving like little worms and there's also another power-up where you can turn into an elephant which we don't know how that works but it's the first trailer showing off a game that's coming out in october you and <laughs> yeah you kick things and also i want to say this is the first mario game that actually has like voice acting voice acting if you know yeah. what i mean no yeah yeah the flower like people are talking talking yeah um yeah the flowers are talking and they're funny especially like oh that goomba looks so serene kick <laughs> just kick the goomba uh i said it to ryan but i really like this like shrunk down model size it feels like they've rather than like what we've seen with what you just mentioned like the wii u one we've gone back to like while it's still modern aesthetics and design it's a mario that looks more reminiscent of original mario those are more stout yeah and down yeah yeah uh, and i really like until that. he turns into long mario. right yeah yeah, yeah. but i really like that no, yeah, yeah. i think that's really cool i i'll be honest man like i i love mario but like i'm always more of a 3d mario guy than a 2d mario guy not to, not that obviously not that they're bad or anything but like i would always play an odyssey before i'd play like a three like a 3d world or, or whatever the 2d ones are but like this this looks really like this looks really wonderful not to not to play on the word but like mm -hmm. the fact that it's doing so much experimentation the fact that like mushrooms are actually tripping you out and it's changing the world and like it looks really cool um uh all the different new power sets that you can do like it looks well the multiplayer looks really fun like i'm i'm very much into this one uh yeah. what i'll say is it feels like it feels like they brought indie game level mindsets about thinking about the game in a whole new way rather than like living in the you know past of mario sure yeah yeah. you know yeah. like there, there's a lot of like we can be inventive in many ways this could be almost like 
this is their brand new Mario 1. Like, this is the first new Super Mario Bros. in a franchise. And it's like, we're starting back in 2D, and it's a new yeah. art style, a new different perspective. Like, everything's animated. It's kind of like what new Super Mario Bros. did when it was on the the two, yes. on the, the DS. Because the yeah, new Super like Mario Bros. The newest iteration. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, actually, what I, one of the things I love about this game is not only just the fact that you can play as Mario, Peach, and Toad, uh, Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad. Daisy! But all the, and Daisy. Yeah, well... You couldn't do that in the other games. This time, one you can. Daisy is playable right off the bat. Yoshi's playable right off the bat. I want to. See, am I forgetting another character? Because I know when we saw Princess Daisy and a Yoshi, like not like it's not like you're writing a Yoshi. You can write a Yoshi, but Yoshi yeah. is a playable character from the looks of it. I so, wonder and, if you'll unlock characters. Have have, right. uh, have you seen the little comic image that went around on Twitter? I'm sure you did, where um it showed the bit from like where Mario and Peach are jumping down Mario's like hat inflates as he's like floating and stuff. <laughs> and then they drew a picture of Toad with Toad's mushroom cap coming off and he's like bald, and they're like, yeah. I need to know if this is how he does it. I need to know if this is how Toad floats down. Funny enough, I have not seen that. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> that is that's hilarious. But I mean the the, the two games I'm super excited from this Nintendo Direct are Mario RPG and Mario Wonder, actually. Yeah. Hearing, seeing a new Mario 2D game, I'm always curious, and I'm always ready to see how Nintendo, they excel, and they keep reinventing the wheel, but they do it in such a way that it's just, it blows everyone out of the water. It's just, I wrote, a, my very first post article for Fusion Magazine was how Mario perfected platforming over the years. Every single new game had something new, something interesting. They either up the difficulty. It It's all these different aspects, all these different um, ver, um, variables that somehow the designers and the people at Nintendo just nail almost every single time. Now, not every 2D Mario game is perfect. I mean, people say that new Super Mario Bros. 2 for the DS, or 3DS rather, it's not the best, but it's still a serviceable game. It's still fun to play. The gimmick in that one was just get as many coins as you only possibly can. But then you have games like um, New Super Mario Brothers, like the original New Super Mario Brothers, the DS, brought Mario back to 2D. You have the ones on the Wii, which brought four-player co-op. Absolute chaos, but still fun to play. I'm into the chaos. I love the chaos. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to Wonder. Obviously, New Super Mario R um, Mario RPG is it looks fantastic. It's a classic game, and my RPG fan, the RPG anime nerd in me, is like, yay, Star Ocean. Honestly, but, I'm I'm really really excited for a bunch of for mostly like the younger people to play Super Mario RPG because it is on like a it is the most unique Mario game ever made. Like mm -hmm. that is or like all of those are like act, they all have characters. They're all characters and they all speak and they all oh, talk yeah. and it's like it is a realized RPG in a way that like Mario. I love like like the paper mario franchises but like mm -hmm. those are like those are rpg light mm -hmm. this is like the guys who make final fantasy are making a mario game uh mm -hmm. and it's turn-based and all that shit and it's like that's really cool and like it was oh, yeah. behind limbo it was like behind lawyer limbo for so long because the problem is is that square made um made original characters in the mario universe but mm -hmm. they can't they or they couldn't use them outside of that mario game and and nintendo couldn't make the game until they need a new partnership with square for this game because of where yeah. you know behind the scenes shit so it took yeah. like 30 years for this to happen and it's really cool that it's happened oh no there was there was some beef between nintendo and square because nintendo wanted to keep using cartridges and nintendo and square was like no we have final fantasy 7 that was one of the major reasons is like when nintendo brought the n64 is like cartridges and square was like um we're gonna go to cd-rom so square was nintendo was the nintendo like almost a second party developer with nintendo for the longest time until they jumped ship and went to sony and then they just started developing for everyone and the fact that they were able to rebuild a relationship over time 
is great. It's true. How many cartridges would Final Fantasy VII have been on? Ten. I heard the number has been 27. Oh my god! <laughs> Y'all, I it, believe that. It is so, again, like, I, I brought up like, every week, but, like, the, the Jedi Survivor is 150 gigs, and I think of, like, games on, like, my, like, PlayStation 1 that's, like, like 80 megabytes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can I can fit, like, a thousand Jedi Survivors on the one PS1 game. It's Dude, amazing. I think, if I remember right, like, I don't know how they did, but they had to squish Resident Evil 2 on the N64, because that was, like, a max, like, a 16 KB cartridge Oh, yeah, I watched something. that video of how, like, the compression, it was, like, a really unique situation for that it game. Was, yeah, yeah. It was nuts, but anyways, the fact that Nintendo, I mean, Nintendo Square, they've had a relationship for years, because Final Fantasy games have been on Nintendo consoles, obviously. Mario Rabbids. But, Mario and Rabbids mm, games. There you go. Yeah, yeah, but I'm glad to see it back. I'm so happy. I'm really looking forward to Wonder, and although I was, I mean, there, there weren't a lot of things in direct that, that really, like, grabbed my interest, but also, really talking, a quick little side tangent here. The GameCube games, Pikmin 1 and 2, HD, on the Switch, ready to go, right now, I think is a great move by Nintendo. I Bring more, love... GameCube, bring more GameCube games to the Switch, please. Yes. yes. I love Pikmin. I play, I, I, last time, we, whenever we talked about the last Pikmin trailer, but I played Pikmin 1 and 2, and then 3 was on a system I didn't own, so I never played 3. Uh, and it's taken now, like, 8 years to get to the, new, the newest one. So, like, I'm Super Jones for 4. I think it looks great. I love Pikmin is like a, a little plant person simulator where you collect all these plants, and it's like a puzzle simulator, and it just looks really great, and you have a dog. And you can customize your dog. Oh, yeah. my God. I will not lie. The dog looks really, really cute. I'm not – I've never played Pikmin. Pikmin's never really grabbed me, but I do know there's a fan base out there. And I am glad these those fans are getting this game because this game does look really cool. That's true. Yeah. All right. All right, oh, back, what to, else? back to regular regular. Podcast. Oh my god, Brandon's back. Oh my oh god. Oh my god, Brandon. Uh, oh, what'd you guys talk about? What did I miss? Nothing. We're thinking uh, about the trailer the trailer park, I think. All right, let's it's go. It's Mario. <laughs> <laughs> uh drive away dolls. Starting with the trailers. Sorry, we're in trailers, drive away dolls. Yeah. Um I think it's it, it reminds me a lot of Fargo. Which makes sense. Yeah. But it's only half of the Cohen brothers. Yeah. So that's interesting. This is um I have it right here. Uh this is Ethan's second film on his own. Mm -hmm. Um he did Jerry Lee Lewis Trouble in Mind last year. Didn't hear about that one. Right. Um, but uh, I think that was also like a it's a twenty four distribution and a smaller kind of film. Mm -hmm. And then Joel did uh, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth on their own, but we haven't seen them do anything together since Ballad of Buster Scruggs in twenty eighteen. Oh, Netflix, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just it's just nice to see Cohen stuff on the screen again. Um, I really love Fargo. I'm getting a lot of Fargo vibes, and I really like this cast. So I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, 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 a couple ladies have a misadventure. Cops following them behind. Uh, has has that Cohen Cohen charm behind it. Uh, great cast. Looks 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 fun. Yeah. Metalocalypse Army of the Doomstar. Right. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. When did Metalocalypse start? 2006. You're close. 2006. I I honestly didn't. I I, I was young. I yeah, just remember yeah. I was young, going like, "This is too metal for my teenage." Yeah, ass. yeah, yeah. How many seasons does it have? I don't know. I don't know. Four, 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 and a special. Um, and we have been waiting for this since 2006. Been, because yeah. the whole thing is in the first season. You're told this band will lead to the end of the world. Yes. That's the Metalocalypse. Yeah. Well, it's here. They guys. are. We're finally at the Metalocalypse. Metalocalypse is so fun. They are like the biggest band in the world. They have the greatest concerts. It's just, it is like, 
this also the animation looks insane. It looks this, great. This is like the best the show has ever looked. And it's a movie. It's a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a movie. Uh, uh, yeah. John Schnapp passing away. Like we didn't think. Did you watch? You watched the last special, right? Where they went. No. Oh, so no. there was a special before this, which is really important because, like, where the show left off is Toki Wartooth was abducted, yeah. and the band had to go save Toki. Okay. Um, okay. and so that was a whole thing, and so it's this big, beautiful special. Okay. Um, that's also like a, a film. Okay. Um, and then like either it was supposed to be that and lead into like I think it was originally supposed to be two more projects, but like Brandon Small was like, "Look, I just want to finish it." Yeah, so yeah. finally, finally was allowed by Adult Swim to end this project. I love it. It looks so good. Oh, I'm so happy for Brendan Small. Brendan Small's been fighting to get this finale out there forever, and it doesn't look cheap. Like it doesn't look like like they like, threw it out. Like it looks like 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 it was like seriously animated. Like it looks I, just so metal. I love I love Metalocalypse. I love that we're bringing back whale shit because Nathan has this whole thing about going into the water and summoning a bunch of whales to do <laughs> battle for them. So I'm really I just I, the whole thing just you get that classic metalocalypse comedy like when nathan is just like holding the coffee he's just like everything else is still but he's just like mm. yeah or yeah. even when the guy hits the gong and just like knocks one of the um death clock workers just off the ledge yeah it, it's such an interesting show i didn't know the last of four seasons that's that's it's been a long time four seasons the, one special and now we're here baby uh, I'm so that special ready. came out last year you said no it was a while ago oh, no, it, oh, was gotcha. a it was a while ago and and it was like brandon small was like right on the cusp of trying to get like a trilogy of projects going and adult swim and really liked the grander like warner brothers was like no and I need to... for years he was campaigning for like give me individual rights to do something yeah and then finally this i, I love need to that. bring I up this that. I need to bring up this comment by Grayson because I try, I wanted to get tickets for this show. Funny I enough, I think Death Clock plays with Baby Mabel on tour. Rent, no, you're not wrong. Don't be sorry. That's I 100% love that. real. I wanted to go see them yeah. play. That would and be I the most like, fun. Uh, no, I mean, Death Clock, hell yeah. Baby Metal, I love Baby Metal. Bring it on. I don't know. I think, are they dead? I know I check, tried to check out where if they're coming to Los Angeles. I think that show might be sold out, but I got to double check that. Well, next time. So excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. Same. Uh, I'm glad Zaslov didn't cancel this. Me too. Uh, Me too. I was afraid. Yeah. I was very afraid that, like, Brendan Small finally got the break and oh, this was going to get canned. This adventure brothers getting to come back. It's just like, it's, it's. And this one, this one seemingly not coming to Max or anything like that, going to Blu ray. Yeah. Digital. Um, which is fine. Good. Like as long as, it goes, movies, as yeah. long as it's out. Yeah. I actually prefer this at this point because if it's on Max, it would get taken away. It's true. <laughs> There's no way the, the audience is big enough to keep that thing around forever. Yeah, right? they yeah. I think I believe the last special also is out on Blu-ray. I hope that they do a re-release of the full series on Blu-ray. For sure. Dumb money. How dare you? That's rude. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now let me tell let me tell you what the movie is called. <laughs> uh, yeah, dumb money. Uh, all of our favorite actors saying holy effing shit like 20 times in a trailer. Holy effing shit. Yeah. So why'd you guys I want this on the on here? Because I, I I put a question mark here. I think it looks fun. Like um I, I don't know if I'll see it in theaters, but it's definitely like it's definitely a movie that that looks fun, but it could either be really good or really bad. Like it's just one of those hair miss. But the fact that Paul Dano is the star of it, and that's a dude who is incredible and really chooses his projects. Uh, makes me believe in this more and like i love seth rogan and all these other people who are in it so like i i, I want to see it but like i'm not gonna like go to see it at the theaters like weekend it comes out or anything uh when we heard that they were making a movie out of this gamestop thing um like a full film uh i was very like 
I just don't know if that really needs to be done or anything. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very glad just off the trailer that this looks good. This looks like this will be entertaining and also uh, representing like what happened. But um, I'm particularly glad that it's going to go fully into like the the like you've been served and the try the the uh, everything that comes after rather than just like the the like punch of the film being like the big the big night when it was all it's also the nuts. aftermath yeah it's the aftermath as well yeah. like i think that's really good yeah yeah i was actually i this is a movie that i probably won't go see in theaters but if it comes up on a streaming service i might take the time to watch because i i remember when this was like circulating everywhere it was on the news it was on like nine gag when i was scrolling that just it was only a couple was, of years ago i feel like it, yeah but it was, it was only a couple of years ago but it was this huge thing and i was like damn that's and also I kind of want to see like the or watch like the, the story plan of how these people screwed over all these hedge funds. And also what I like is that the movie is putting like it's like, hey, this is how much these hedge fund managers, how rich they are, how much their net worth is, how much money they have. And then you cut to a guy wearing a shirt with a cat and a wizard hat on it. Yeah. And did you ever watch the Tetris movie? I did not. I need a thing. No, I, I just I just was just thinking about like no, all the times he would tell us that it was coming out when and when. Yeah, yeah, it's what I still haven't signed up for Apple TV Plus. I'm still like really you can borrow my to, account if you want. I think I need to do that. I mean, no, he can't. No, I no, can't. Apple's cool about it. No, they're cool about. It. They're not on Netflix right now, but they could go back. That's true. You're right. True. Everybody, everybody is a scroll at any point. Yeah, <laughs> Apple is one of the two people listening. <laughs> uh, Craven the Hunter. Hmm. Y'all, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be honest. At this point in my life, I'm just here to have a good time at the movies. <laughs> and, and I saw him, I, I saw an actor I really like bite someone's nose off and spit it out. I, that was pretty good. I, like, we're gonna have the conversation, the same conversation about Morbius and, and El Morto, all that shit. But like, at the end of the day, Craven's a character I know not all of us, none of you guys really care about. So like, I just want to see Aaron Taylor Johnson have a good time with Russell Crowe. And it, this looks like a considerably more fun action movie than Morbius is. So, like, as a Spider-Man fan, like, no, obviously, this is not the movie I would wish Craven was. But I can also go spend $8 on a Saturday and have a really good time. This looks really fun. I think this looks really fun. I second everything Ryan is saying. This does look fun. Oh, man, I didn't expect that. I was going to be like, I don't care if I'm alone on this. Like, I don't. It's fine. No, no, dude. I saw this trailer, and I was like, you know what this... I mean, it looks like a great action film. The fighting is there. Um... Honestly, yeah, Craven is one of those characters. Honestly, yeah. When we first heard that Craven was going to get his own movie, I was like, no, he needs to be a Spider-Man villain. That's the whole reason, yada, yada, yada. But then when I watched this movie, I was like, this looks like fun. It's like one of those, it's like one of those like high octane action films where you're like, yeah, get him. So, but it's a lot more violent and gory. I just and... think, I think Morbius, again, a movie I don't care about, a character I don't really care about, just the whole Morbius thing of like, oh, the Sony Spider-Man universe. I'm just like, oh, I, I, I'm just kind of over it. I just want to watch a movie at this point. Like, I know, like, this is the thing we do. Like, we are nerd culture and we talk about, but like, for the Sony Spider-Man universe, this looks like a fun movie to me. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't need it to be bogged down by anything else that's, that the universe that it's trying to be tied to, you know, even though it's mm -hmm. trying to build up to something, I think still, which is probably going to be bad. You know, this looks, this looks okay. That's just, you know. Sparks, you want to add anything? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I I think on the spectrum of Sony making movies that look like they are superhero films from the late two thousands, <laughs> um, this is one of the better looking ones. Hell yeah! So like I can have a good time with it. Uh, I like Craven. Um, 
character I like. This is not uh, Ryan already said it, uh, you know, but like it's it, I like Aaron Taylor Johnson, so I like Aaron. Ta- I like Aaron Taylor he's, Johnson. Dude, y'all, he's he's really took a turn around. Like that dude's awesome. Like we all saw Bullet Train. Like that dude. He's I got like it. Aaron Taylor Johnson when Aaron Taylor Johnson tries. Yes, I'll say that. True. Um, and I it doesn't look like he's not trying. Looks like he's having fun. I want to so see I'll, him beat I'll, the shit out of Russell Crowe. I'll watch it. Um, the Lion Blur. I do think it's really funny how Twitter took to this and was like, oh, they made White Panther and released the trailer on Juneteenth. <laughs> yeah. That's neat. Yeah. And I was like, apt. All right. Yeah. Friends. Sometimes unfortunate <laughs> things happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I'm guessing you have nothing to say about it. I mean, it looks okay. I think I don't disagree with anything you said. I don't know if I really particularly care at this point what, yeah. what Sony does. Just in general, I don't. But of the, as I think Sparks is correct, of the ones that I have been disinterested in, this is the one I am least disinterested in. Yeah. Uh, because I think there's some cool action here. I think it's very funny that he gets his powers from a lion, from lion blood. I think that's very funny in the right way. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think, yeah, like, giving him powers, like, whatever, but making it have be like lion blood to give him, like, oh, he has, like, predator instincts now. I'm like... Yeah. Give him, yeah, he has the eyes of a tiger. It really, Hell it, yeah, it really 2000s is movie. It really is like the 2000s. Like, we will not yeah. understand this character no, from the comics. Not at all. And here you go. And it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Just, again, just like Morbius, th- this is a movie that was plucked from 2004 and they just dusted it off with better special effects. Uh, uh, mm, it really debatable. Is, it really yeah. is impressive how Sony is able to like make this niche market of like, we're making superhero movies as if the MCU never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say also that the best thing this marketing for this marketing right now is that damn poster because that poster looks 10,000 times better than the movie because it looks like a Craven cover. And I'm so I'm so in love with that poster. Sure. It is. It is. It is a good poster. And also, dude, that's like Aaron Taylor Johnson is like he's from Tenet. That dude's been ripped. Oh, my God. Like, okay, um, the rhino, though. Yeah. Mm. Oh, also, I'm also kind of excited because there's like a lot of Spider-Man villains in this movie. It's not just Craven. Who's Craven's brother? It's the chameleon. Yeah. And then also the rhinos in this movie. And also Craven seniors in this movie. So we have two Cravens technically. Uh, it's just like, I'll 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 meet you halfway. Yeah. Just just give me just if you just give me really nonsense violence with a lion man, I'll I'll be it. Honestly, if if where this all ends up because of just how they're performing and what happens. If where all this ends up is not really with these guys finding Spider-Man, but Venom, I'm kind of okay with it. Sure. If this turns into Venom versus his own Sinister Six, I'm kind of fine with it. Yeah. I'll t- I'll tell you what. I'll uh I'll 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 say this. I'll go see this movie, but I'll leave before the credit scene starts where he has to go apprehend Michael Keaton phoning it in as the vulture. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Cause he, that's you know, you know, that's the post credit scene is Morbius and the Vulture. I mentioned somehow. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got. It, it, they got to like do the other way, right? Like it's got to be Venom related somehow, like Shriek or something. Well, I wonder if they. I wonder if I've always been curious because I know. I know for a fact. I feel it in my bones. That's how the like factual bones that like this this ends with a sinister six movie that has been their goal for decades at this point is to make a sinister six movie right so i i'm sure but like what is that sinister six going to look like is venom and craven who are clearly heroes going to be a part of that yeah yeah Yeah. be interesting all right um okay that's it yeah
Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, it's, it's, all, the trailers, uh, it's all the trailers. It's all the trailers. Are we good to move on, or anything else you want? Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you guys have this thing where you guys will like pause your like video will like pause and um and and, and we'll speed through it while. You, but you were still talking. We can definitely hear you, and you're fine. Um, but it's very distracting when you guys don't move. Yeah. Because I don't know if you're there, if you're there or not. We're all, we'll, we're always here. Yeah. We'll always be here. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our 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 uh, our main topic then. All right. So uh, we are going to be talking about the next two Mission Impossible films: Mission Impossible Three and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. If you have not seen any of these films, please go away. And come back, go see them, or whatever. Or you know okay, what? They've been up for a while. But Ben, <laughs> how kidding. could you? I'm kidding. Um, so uh full spoilers for both of these movies. So let's get right into it with Mission Impossible three. I'll go um, first. Well, hold on. I wanna oh. I got some context and some credits to give real quickly. Um directed by JJ Abrams in two thousand and six. Uh, written by J.J. Abrams, Alex Kurtzman, and a name we haven't heard in a long time, Roberto Orsi. Um, this is after Orsi and Kurtzman uh, had written The Island uh, for Michael Bay, but mm. this was, but this is director J.J. Abrams' feature debut because he had been directing TV episodes up until this point, including Alias, which is why he got this job. Right. Because uh, Tom Cruise really liked Alias. Oh, they also did The Legend of Zorro. Prior to this, or St. Kurtzman. But there's The Legend of Zorro and The Island, and then this came out. Womp womp. Womp womp. Um, and uh, I do want to mention this real quickly about this. This has the lowest box office of the series, and the reviews were generally positive, but they didn't, but a lot of the more uh, critical reviewers really didn't like this movie because they felt tired of the Mission Impossible franchise. They were. They have said in a post-born world, because born identity and born supremacy had come out, word why do we need this? Why we don't need Mission Impossible? And how interesting have things have changed? <laughs> that's definitely I I get that as a time frame review. Right. Whereas like the born movies are so hot and those movies are really cool and it's like doing like the fast cuts and like not yeah. so much like just like the the big James Bondy spy stuff. So like I get that, especially uh is this before or after Casino Royale too? It is after Casino Royale. So after Casino Royale, which is again more Bourne-esque, Bourne-esque, yeah. I think maybe people, even though this is a good movie, it's not the greatest movie ever made. So I think people were more critical than probably they needed to be. I think I think you're right because you know Mission Impossible Two was not well received, yeah. and people were, and then in between this, you had these two highly successful action films and the Bourne films, and you, and then you come up with this, and I think people are just like, oh, this is trite. I've seen this before. People were also down on Tom Cruise at the time. So sure. that that yeah that happened po just during production during that production but um, during a um, uh, press for this movie and then a lot after this movie which I'll get into for Ghost Protocol but yeah that's uh, that is a factor here anyway what do we think about this one uh, Ben really desperately wants to go first so I'll let him yeah do that. Uh, the last time I saw the first time I saw this movie and also the last time I saw this movie it was on Stars and I thought it was cool rewatching it again. Yo, this movie's great. I loved this movie. I had a blast with this movie. I want to say the reason why I had a lot of fun with this movie is because of Philip Seymour Hoffman and how much of an evil bastard he plays. And he's not like that maniacal. 
I don't know why, but there are times when villains, like you have a Jason Momoa type of villain who was completely unhinged, off the walls, ready to rock and roll. And then you have the more calm, collected villain in a um, Phyllis Seymour Hoffman in MI3, who was just cold, calculating, doesn't give a damn, very rarely raises his voice. And it's just like, ooh. I hate you, but I love you at the same time. And also something I liked is I, I really enjoyed is Ethan fighting for something. I mean, yes, he's fighting to, to stop this rabbit's foot. He's trying to he's trying to avenge his friend whom he trained and watch die right in front of him, but also trying to save his wife. And I really like that that Ethan is not just um doing like, oh, I need to have a mission for me. Like the first mission possible. Oh, I was disavowed. I need to do this. Or even in two is like, I just need to do this for me. He's doing this for someone else. I mean, granted, it's not going to save the entire world, yes, but his main driving point is Philip, um, Davin has my wife. I need to get her back, and I will do it by any means necessary. Okay, I want to cut you off there because you're going into a full review. Um, so, Ryan. I think this is a pretty awesome movie. Um, did you mention the music? I don't know if you mentioned the music. Michael Giacchino. Okay, I'm just taking sure. Um, he worked with J.J. Abrams on Lost because Giacchino did all of Lost. Uh, uh, he brought him over here, which is music is phenomenal. Uh, this is great. It's definitely not my favorite Mission Impossible, but it's certainly, I mean, not, I don't think any of them are honestly bad. I'm, I'm the most positive on two of all of us. But like, this is another really good one. I think it's great. Like, it definitely feels like the most clean, like Hollywood produced movie. Uh, like, I definitely see all of J.J. Abrams all over it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really good, like kind of like a clean slate, like, hey, we're going to relaunch the franchise in a way, even though I think they're doing that again with the next one in a way. Um, but I think it's a good time at the movies. Sparks? Yeah, I really, really like this one. Um, I think this is where Ethan really gets defined as a character. And like, not that the first one didn't give him a lot of character stuff, but we are with him for like, uh, in a way where he's just kind of the guy on the outs and he's so isolated for a lot of it. And even then, like, when we do encounter characters, like it's the first time we're watching him spend time with Luther. We're also, you know, it's not like we're seeing a lot of his relationships and how he engages with them because most of the people he's encountering are people who he's either encountering for the first time or he's not on the, on like good standing with. Mm -hmm. And then two just kind of doesn't have who Ethan is between this, that film and this film present in it as a character. Like I, it's one of my reasons I, said i rub up against two is because like looking back on it i'm like i just don't see ethan in this role the same way i see him in one and three Mm -hmm. um whereas like here i feel like i really feel like i i'm connected to who ethan is as a character and like where he fits into the story where he fits into imf all that feels very crystal clear and uh well brought to life in this film Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree 100% Sparks. This, I love this movie. I love this movie. I think this movie rules. This is the first Mission Impossible movie I saw. A uh, quick anecdote. Uh, I saw it with my dance teacher at the time. Um, and we uh, and it was at old theater and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. We, and, saw uh, it too. we did. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were there. I was there. Oh, <laughs> look at that um yeah i really really like this movie i still do i think it's got one kind of major problem that kind of keeps it from being like really great but we'll get into it um uncredited cameo for this movie roberto orsi and alex kersman they're in this movie Mm. (laughs) neat um okay so let's get let's let's where where, where do we want to start with this one uh hoffman is incredible yes uh ben is correct i think hoffman remains one of the strongest 
of the villain. I won't say the strongest, but the strong one of the strongest of the villain performances in the Mission Impossible franchise. Certainly, like compared to our previous two, like this guy's just giving it. I'm gonna hurt her. Uh, uh, I told Ryan, I'm like, there's a world where Hoffman played Wilson Fisk that I would have loved to have seen. Mm. Um, and like he's he's just he's just. <sighs> It was so smart. I think the smartest thing this movie does is start with a scene that comes later in the film, which mm-hmm. is the scene where he's got Ethan to the chair. And we yeah. get Hoffman and him on the on the odds against each other right from the jump. We get what that relationship is going to be. It is the driving force of the narrative of this film. Even though we don't know how we get there, it, it sets you up so well to care about everything that comes after. I think that was such a smart decision to make in the edit of this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's really powerful it's frankly i think one of the best performed scenes from tom cruise in this franchise yeah and from hoffman um it's just mm-hmm. like the way they play with each other uh they are electric yeah. this is really really great enemy chemistry i really like them together in that scene i think that sequence is incredible um oh, yeah. i also made the same note that it, this is probably the best we've seen tom cruise as ethan and uh what I love about Hoffman in this, what he does for this role is he's very subdued, right? He's not big. He's not like, ben, you know, Ben said it succinctly, like, you know, he's not uh, on the surface. You wouldn't really see a lot of acting going on, but he is able to bring this character down to a more mellow and frankly, more terrifying place mm-hmm. uh, because he never, like Ben said, he never raises his voice. And when he does, you listen yeah, he and he being like being this character, like this like world, like world world arms dealer. Like you are someone who lives in the shadows. So like it 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 pays to be to be small. You know, he he's a larger person, but it pays to be small in you know in personality. So like, uh, uh, people know him. They know how threatening he is. But like he's never he's never gonna make a scene. Like he just wants to get in and out of there. You know, he's not flashy. He's there to do a job, uh, and he will do whatever it takes to finish that job, and he'll kill anyone he has to. Uh, and he won't be loud about it, which again is cool. I like that. Yeah, he always one feels the, in control. One of the scenes that actually really got me was when um, and this is much later on in the movie. So if you want me to stop, just let me know. But it's one of the but it's a very easy scene where all you hear is is Hoffman's voice, and it's after they kidnap Julia from the hospital, and when Ethan's on the phone, and for some reason, just when Hoffman said, "Don't threaten me, just don't," you right. listen. A simple line delivery, nothing there, like no sharp tongue, like no sharpness added to his words. Just like the second he says, don't threaten me. And just that, I don't know what it was, but I was like, if I felt that if I was in Eden's position, I shut the hell up and listen. Well, he's not Shakespearean. Yeah. Well, right. well, one of the things that's really interesting is even before that in the, in the plane interrogation, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Um, Hoffman, after being, after bringing, after being brought up, he just says, I'm gonna find I'm gonna find your wife gonna and I'm gonna kill her, Ethan. Yeah. And it's so subdued and it's so there's no one there's very little inflection. It's terrifying yeah. because you're like, oh shit. Well, after he spent the first part of the scene, like Ethan going, and you know Ethan's good, even if you haven't watched the previous films, you know Ethan's good at his job. He's yeah. basically what's so fun for Tom Cruise, I think, in this one is he's kind of set up to be Superman in this movie. Like he is perfect. Uh, that's the implications of who he is as an agent. He is mm-hmm. the top tier, perfect guy. Um, and when he's doing an interrogation, it never goes this way. And all he's getting back from him, he's like, why don't you tell me your name? Yeah. Tell me who you are. 
Um, and that is so frustrating for Ethan. And I think that is part of what, to, to Ben's point, like he says it then, and he says it again when he's holding the gun on Julia, basically to the effect of like, don't don't tell me bullshit that you're not going to do and mm-hmm. that you're not going to be able to do. Because he's always, in, right, like Ryan said, he's always in control. And he's just like, like, he always has this air that he is in control. Yeah. And Hoffman is so good at playing he, that. He is so no-nonsense. And like, compare, who I, mean, I like the, the Ghost Protocol's villain too, but that guy is very Shakespearean. He loves to be up on a stage and monologue about the end of the world and shit, right? right. Hoffman would never do that. Or, or uh, uh, da- Davian? Davian. 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 He, yeah, he's like, again, like, he's just like, I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna kill your whole family. Right. Like this is like I like I should have been in Moscow four hours ago. You know what I mean? Like it's, this is you're just getting in my way. This is I don't want to do this. It's one of those rare times that I think like Hoffman brought to life something that he adds something that the script wants to say he is, but a lot of other scripts have said this too and not had the performers bring it the same way, which is where you are told that the villain is untouchable in the minds of the agency in the minds of the good guys you cannot get to this guy and he plays a character who knows that yes 100 percent knows that and has no fear because of mm-hmm. it yeah. and that doesn't happen a lot in these kinds of performances and he elevates the material of the script by doing so and i do want to shout out because we're talking about hoffman one of the best things hoffman does in this movie is actually when he's playing ethan yes yeah I his eyes and his face and his manners that he's Ethan. Yeah. It's really good. It's really, really good. His inflection changes too, where yeah. he talks more like Tom Cruise. Yeah. When he's doing the pointing, I'm like, I've seen Tom Cruise do that. Yeah. Like he's captured Tom Cruise completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the ghost protocol at the beginning. Yeah. Yes. Doing the- yeah. When he's doing that, it's just, a, you, you, you see Tom Cruise in Philip Seymour Hoffman, and it's incredible. Yeah. Like, he is very good. The, the transition, real sorry, real quick, Ben. When uh, when Tom Cruise is putting the the Hoffman face on, and there's a quick pan of like it cuts, oh it like God, it's, so it's like a fade of black of somebody's back of their head, and it's and it's just Hoffman it's not, there or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. It, it, they do go around his back, but like you're still seeing the loose like yes. latex pieces. It's, it's such a perfect. On, and then all of a sudden, it's Hoffman. It's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Such no, a good, I, uh, like that whole scene where Tom Cruise is playing. I mean, it's Hoffman, but it's Hoffman playing Tom Cruise as Hoffman. It reminds me of the Helena Bonham Carter watching Emma Watson play Helena Bonham Carter so she can be her, you know. It's that scene from Harry Potter um, 7 or when she's going to the bank, when they're going to the bank vault at Gringotts. Um, It's very much like that. But even then, just even while watching this, I was, there are parts parts of me while I'm watching this, I, I, I'm thinking, I know that's Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I still feel that's Tom Cruise and it works the manhole bit the hey what's up yeah God, <laughs> nothing it's so, what's up with you? it's so good or even when they're um <laughs> even when they're like they when they park the before they go into the vatican they park the car and they're all yelling at each other italian and then the okay. and then the other guy goes like hey it's fine and all the other car drivers like oh yeah it's okay there's um, there's just like no world i feel where they wouldn't have written a longer scene of of ethan pretending to be davian had they known how good Hoffman would be at it. Like, mm-hmm. I wish it went on for longer. He's so good. I would love if there was, like, a whole deleted scene. Yeah, just, like, a yeah. whole just bit of him having to pretend to be Davian and, like, Hoffman just nailing it. Yeah. Um, the, the cla- m- one of my favorite lines is she's like, oh, is um, uh, Zen, when she's saying, oh, it's such a nice car. Blow it. Yeah. She Maggie didn't want to, <laughs> didn't want to blow up the, Ma- the Lamborghini. I do, I do love seeing Maggie Q. Yeah, so uh, uh, we got a crew. We got we got our we got Ving Rings back coming back. 
Uh, we got Simon Pegg joining the crew. He's he's not much in this. He's not in this movie a lot. I forgot that he starts as just like a dude he goes to talk to. I forgot that. That's really fun. But he's uh, got but he's got the talking through at the end. At scene, the end, yeah, yeah, which is good. I love. I like. I like our crew a lot. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron Paul's in this movie. He is. It's, this is Breaking Bad time, so he's just he's just Jason Jesse Pinkman. Ben's like where he's Ethan's brother-in-law, bro. You know the guy at the party's like, yo, bitch. The, oh, the guy who's just Jesse Pinkman at the party. You know, it's it was the hair because he grew his hair out. I'm used to Jesse Pinkman having a shaved head, so I, that's why. I want to talk about the 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 party sequence, which is why I brought up Aaron Paul, because uh, Greg Grunberg is also in that in that sequence, sure. and he, yeah, I love the. I love the bit when he's when he's talking when he's like so bored at Tom Cruise and the ladies are like I'd marry him. Yeah, um, he's a per- I, he's, he's he's the perfect man. That party scene establishes like the perfect man. He's a atten- <laughs> he listens. He's attentive. He cares absolutely. Yeah. I I really like that scene because it shows it shows a really good side of Ethan, right? Like it shows him his domestic side. Also, if we find out in that sequence that his mom has passed be- in between one and two, in between one and three, sorry yeah. for your yeah. loss. Yeah. Um, and I really, and I, I just really like that sequence and it sets up his new superpower, which is reading lips. Um, and I, it's a really excellent sequence to set up this new, this new Ethan. And it gets us to really like Julia. I think I really like Julia in this movie. And that sequence is part of the reason why, like you feel that they are in love, that they are married, that Ethan's not doing this for any other reason than he loves her. Yeah. Right. Michelle Monaghan is just a, a really naturally charismatic person uh, i don't think i've ever seen anything that like i've always loved her in anything she's in i, I always go to kiss kiss bang bang with robert downey jr yes, and i'm just like she is just just again naturally just like flows charisma so like any anything she's i'm always happy to see her and like she does have great chemistry with tom cruise yeah uh ben can you bring up dan's comment real quick yes i can dan saying fun fact with the harry potter scene they that's probably also true of this they filmed it three times helena bomb carter did the scene then emma did an impression of her and then helena bomb carter did the impression of the impression that's fun i, I really that. love that that's cool I, there's definitely an amount where like hoffman clearly did the work on analyzing how tom cruise performs um because he captured him incredibly yeah um mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah i will i will say like i i'm agreeing completely with what brandon and ryan are saying like michelle monaghan and my investment in her relationship with ethan is so strong that i remember when we got to ghost protocol and she wasn't in the beginning of the movie uh and and then for a while like we're waiting to like oh they just like split up that really sucks because they yes. were really committed to each other that you know how the rest of that movie plays out we'll talk about it but like it bummed me out because i really really liked them yeah um yeah. and it's it's tough and i they it is also a credit i think to both of them as performers to make you really deeply care about them pretty much by the end of that party scene you're invested in both of them yeah mm-hmm. um it didn't it doesn't take long and they get you there and you kind of feel when, sorry, Ben, real quickly, you kind of feel it when uh, Ethan, you know, he has to go back, he has to go on this trip to to save Carrie Russell. And you kind of see, because they're leaning into the, the Incredibles trope, right? It's not the Incredibles trope, they've done it before, but like that Mr. and Mrs. Smith trope of like, oh, you don't know what I'm, you don't know what I'm really doing. And I've got to lie to you to go on this vacation real quickly. He's um, a secret superhero. Yeah. And I, and so I, I really, I really like how they play that, and I like how they set up that Ethan is retired. He didn't intend to. He like he was never intending to lie to her. It was like just never going out in the field again. Yeah, he's a train. He's training trainer agents. only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Top Gun Maverick. Ethan Hunt. Billy Crudup's in this. 
Billy yes, I forgot. I I remember he was in it. I didn't remember he was a bad boy. Yeah, yeah. I I legitimately was like for a minute was like, oh, Lawrence Fishburne is the bad guy, right? Yeah, me too. Exactly. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot he was the bad guy. And then in my brain's like, he's not though. Yeah, no, especially I, because he plays that scene like you look at me with those judgmental eyes all you want, but I will bleed on the flag to make sure the stripes stay red. Yes, like which is such a good bit, but with yeah. the context that Ethan's supposed to have, you're like, oh, he's so bad. It's a good, it's a good uh, <laughs> mix-up. It's good. Oh no, it was definitely one of those things because the whole time I'm thinking is like, it can't be Lawrence Fishburne, can it? Oh, like that scene with like the judgmental eyes and bleeding on the flag. I was like, yeah, it probably is though. And then the real like, oh, I should have seen this coming, but damn it, movie, you got me. I really love because we talked about the the line. Uh, my favorite line is when he is when Lawrence Fishburne says in response to Ethan Hunt, "It's unacceptable that chocolate makes you fat." But I, <laughs> sorry, I've gotten, um, but I've had my fair share. And guess what? Yeah, he's he's bringing so much. Um, uh, in other news, water wet yeah uh yeah. energy to this performance um it genuinely makes me sad that Lawrence Fishburne didn't at least come back for protocol yeah mm. uh I really wish like even if he was the one who got shot in protocol we'll get there uh I I still kind of wish he was the one who came back because like I really like him yeah yeah um in this role uh as small as it is we have just just but, a really good cast in this one yeah yes I just realized who played protocol who played the secretary in protocol because the whole time I'm, I'm we'll get to it well, we'll get to it, but still, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I, I blinked on that. This is this is um, a crazy good cast, and I think everyone is very good in it. I think the the kind of I've been thinking a lot about your mom's comment, uh, Sparks, about how Mission Impossible is meant to be about a team and not just one person. I really and thought very, that sentence was going somewhere else. Also, so. did. <laughs> I'm really what? glad. I, I really been thinking about your mom. <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about the comment that your mom said. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, where it's talking about how, where she was talking about how Mission Impossible is, it's a team, it's not one person, and very much so is in the first two films. It's very much the Ethan show, right? But here we really, even though Sandra O oh and an Irish dude don't, don't Declan Maggie Q, Maggie Q, and what was the Irish? I thought you were correcting me about the Irish dude. No, uh, um, Reese Myers. Nope. Uh, uh, Jonathan Reese Myers. I got yeah, right. Jonathan Reese Myers. I'm going uh, so to man. Those two don't get a lot to do but i'm invested in them i enjoy their i enjoy them they're, they 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 work off of tom cruise and ving rams really well You're and what i think and what i think this movie does very very well is give luther strickler such a good character arc in relation to ethan like you were you feel their relationship in this movie i love them in the first two movies but there's there's not a lot that ving rams really gets to do but here we have so many scenes where it's just the two of them bonding. Yeah, talking. About, I love that. Like, how hard it is to have a have a have a love life as a spy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I really love Luther, their scenes together. I married her yesterday. Well, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I love really, this. They're really good, and I really like. Um, this is the this is the point right where we get Luther as voice of reason for Ethan. Yes. Um, because that's the point where he's throwing Damien out of the plane. And he's cutting the the belts, and Luther's like, Ethan, this isn't the way. This is not like. And Luther is the guy who pulls. Like, we we knew on some level eventually Ethan was going to need that guy, and Luther is that guy. Yeah. Um, and this really, is the first time we really see him fulfill that role. Right. I really like that. When we kind of get in the first film, which sets it up really nicely. Like, it doesn't come out of left field that this is who this person would be to Ethan. Right. Um, I really like the bit where when he does the stunt in this movie, which is the jumping off of the building and swinging over. 
uh, I really like the bit where where he made it. I knew he'd make it. Yeah, I yeah. knew he'd make it. I knew it. <laughs> uh, I I since we're talking about stunts, one of my favorites. I I still love the bit where um, the missile comes down on the bridge and Tom Cruise gets blown into the sky. Oh yeah. Car. Oh, it's a great stunt. I still shot. remember that like 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 from the trailer and like oh yeah, damn, yeah. this movie is gonna be real. Um, and that whole scene's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's really solid action in this one. Um, uh, I think they use it sparingly yeah. and well. Yeah. Like the yeah. opening, the opening um, rescue action scene uh, is really well done. Like, like how they get out and like uh, the escape methods really fun. All the team having to work together and stuff. And and this is like when Orsai and Kurtzman are doing well with their job, right? Because we get a lot of good setup stuff that pays off later. We brought up the lip syncing, uh, sorry, the lip reading uh, yeah. that Ethan can do, yeah. and that comes up again with Billy Crudup later. That's how uh, he's able to get important information. Yes. Um. So that's really important. You get the bomb in the brain, and the bomb in the brain eventually comes back around. Uh, all yeah. that kind of stuff, like, and how they were going to try to save her, but they didn't get to. Has to use a similar tactic uh, at the end of the film. I think that they do a lot of good, like, setup payoff in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Don't forget the off. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite. That's my favorite bit when he's talking. When he's talking, um, Julia through the gun and he's testing the thing, and he's just like, and he's just like, just turn it on and off. Don't forget the off. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Carrie Russell bomb moment, uh, I I've never forgotten how I felt when I watched her eyeball go oh, sideways yeah. in the theater. It's that wild. Was, that was rough. It's 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 those some that that's a rough death. Like really, mm-hmm. like horrific. Um, because of that, we're on because on that sequence. Um, one of the things I think Abrams does not great in this movie, uh, which is something he completely backs away from later on in his career, is how close he is in on the camera when we're in the interior shots of the, specifically the helicopter and the car later later on. A lot of movement, and it makes it very difficult to kind of follow that action for me. And I kind of wish we had studied the camera a bit more. Sure, he's a little tight in this movie in a way that you're right. Like he definitely isn't later in his career. We got like on the on one of the scenes where he's talking with Hoffman, where like they're being cut yeah. like right at the chin and and the top. And I'm like, I get that that can be an artistic choice. I just yeah. don't think it's working. Well, next is Star Trek, right? After this, next is Star Trek. And yeah. I like Star Trek a lot, so I don't, I don't, I also haven't seen it a while, but I don't remember the camera being a problem in that one. I think no, it's not. He yeah, gets yeah. a lot wider out, and I don't think that this ever comes up again. Yeah, yeah. honestly, in his film. Because no, I I agree with that. It is very like. We're very tight in the shots. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's some really good tension sequences, like in that sequence when we're when we're watching the um the the timer for the defibrillator uh go down and you're like, we're gonna make it, we're gonna make it, and then the and then the t- um, And it's not like loud. It's just like a little t- Yeah. And you're like, oh she's yeah. fine, but then you see your eyeball. Yeah, it, it's yeah, really it's, it's really horrific. Yeah. This this movie shows what you can do with. I mean, yes, you have grand things, but also the little things matter. Like um, the Fer- ancient Ferris's death. I mean, we were talking about it, but yeah, it's not this grand like. I don't want. It's not like the grand like blow, complete head explosion. You know, like gore, blood splatter everywhere. It's it, it's simple. It's just and she's fine one second, and then the next, her eyes are all going weird, and you can tell she's dead, and it's yeah. very painful. It's heartbreaking to see that yeah. and then later on you see um ethan training her and how that yay you're like a little sister it's like oh that's no wonder he's so cavalier on this did you have sex with your little sister there's Ugh. something so um i i don't think this is intentional i just think it's funny but there's something so 
Cortana from Halo reminiscent to me about the way Carrie Russell's like it's it's like when Master Chief is remembering things Cortana says mm -hmm. in my head of like how you'll get like a little bit of flashback and the voiceover lingers over and it's like do you think I'm ready mm, or like whatever it sure, is? Sure, and I'm sure. like, Oh God, this is such halo. It's, vibes. Sad, it's yeah. like, it's very of its time in that moment. I think it's very funny. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's intentional. I just think it's like that moment in time. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, but I, 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 I definitely get it now as you were explaining it. I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You felt that vibe entirely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll highlight my two problems with the film. Um, one is uh, it's not really a this film problem. This is kind of a the franchise problem, I think, until a little later on. Um, it's even in Ghost Protocol, which is that Ghost Protocol is a little better about it. We, every time we're getting a little better, but um, our, our side lady characters, specifically our side ladies of color, um, not really getting a lot of character stuff. Um, now, to be fair, Jonathan Reese Myers also doesn't get a lot in this movie, but Maggie Q, not a full in, fully engaged character yeah um we talked about the anyway newton last time not a fully engaged character uh and we'll talk about it again in ghost protocol where where i think it's a better but it's not great thank god they didn't kill maggie q in this movie yes i was really happy because then like that. all the women will just be kidnapped or murdered and i know like, you god. were i know you were nervous about uh i think you brought it up or someone else who was watching with us i think that it, they thought maggie q was the one under julia's mask it was me yeah and yeah. like that would have really sucked if that was true yeah yeah, I agree with that. My um, the other the other thing I'll just bring up really quickly is like it's been a while since I saw this one, but for some reason the pacing of this movie felt too long. Hmm. Um, for me, I felt like the movie went on just a little long. I I did have a moment where I was like, "Man, this movie's going." Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with that. I felt it. My I don't know if I necessarily do, but because we're voicing these things, I'll say that my biggest problem with this movie is that it just kind of ends. And I think it's good. And I think that there's nothing really here that's necessarily bad, but it's just Carrie Russell, not Carrie Russell. Um, Oh, Michelle Monaghan shoots Billy Crudup, which I think is a weird choice in general. And then it's over. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, oh, oh, that's it. Okay. I guess. Yeah. To be honest with you, I think that, I think that part of what it is, is the extra time we have to take for Ethan to go get the rabbit's foot. And oh yeah, the rabbit's foot. And while I'll say like, I kind of like that we don't actually see what happens in the building, and then we just get, um, I can't get out. Look up, look up, look up. Um, I, yes, I kind of like that bit. But there is a part where I'm like, it probably would have been simpler if Davian already had the rabbit's foot, and Ethan got one of them off the bridge, not Davian, but the rabbit's foot, and so mm. he has it. And now it's just setting up the drop and getting us to the end of the film because like doing the whole heist thing in Shanghai is a little cumbersome i i i will not i don't totally agree about the pacing but i do agree there's like one additional thing like i didn't have a problem with long of this but i do feel like something we could have trimmed some of it yeah. like i liked everything in it so yeah, I, I, I saw I a good agree. time watching it but i was like i definitely started to feel a little like that no you feel like there's like there's a new scene and she's like oh i didn't realize we have more of this to do yeah yeah mm -hmm. i have i have an insert aside into what into what sparks was talking about specifically the moment with you know rewind and and add an asterisk which is when you're talking about when he is when he got the rabbit's foot he was like i can't get to the roof look up look up look up it was tom cruise this one i really noticed that tom cruise is really good at this is gonna be really weird but like that face that like huh, face that kind of like you know that kind of like roll your eyes kind of shrug face before something really funny happens mm -hmm. sure um, and I, I, I always, I always laugh. I think he's, he's a physical he, actor, yeah. very good comedic and physical actor. 
Um, sure. Yeah, that's my asterisk. Um, where sh- what? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I love the gadgets. That's what I've been trying to say for a little while. Um, one of the things I really, I really appreciate this film and onward. And I, you know, there's always been gadgets in this franchise, but I'm really glad that this film didn't abandon the gadgets because you could have, right? Both, both the Bourne films and and Casino Royale, which came out before this, did not have gadgets. Right. Uh, controversially, in the in the in, in Casino Royale. So you could have had like a oh we're not gadgets aren't cool anymore and I'm so happy they were like no 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 cool gadgets yeah again like like we were talking about earlier like it was like edge we were like an edge fest and then yeah. and it's like yeah what if we just had like a cool spy movie again and I don't just don't think the audience has really wanted it at the time but like yeah like I love I love that we just keep going forward like no we are a franchise about gadgets like mm-hmm. Mission Impossible that's what well, we have ripping masks off baby that's what we do in many ways I think Mission Impossible three lasts and does better over time by not going with the trend yes and instead resisting it and giving you classic spy and it's funny because the movies kind of real quick man they they kind of do turn into that with mccory but they still keep the cool spy shit they just turn into dope action movies as well so like everybody wins in, in this franchise really right mm-hmm. i just want to say i love the hell i was gonna say i love the helicopter scene the chase mm. through the wind farm. I thought that was really effective. Yeah. Oh, there's a great scene where he does like like a like a big flippy flip to avoid a missile. I'm like, that's some good piloting. Yeah, Irish man. Yeah, I saw that in the A team also. Speaking <laughs> speaking of the secret gadgets, I just really like some of the spy stuff we get even early on. Like the call for him is, uh, you know, we've got this all expenses paid travel deal coming up, and he's like, yeah. oh shit. Uh, or, and then the um the Kodak camera. Yeah, and yeah, it, I. L- I always love how every time it's like this messes with self-destructive, it's just like you see the smoke fly up and it's just you hear like this little and like the smoke comes up. I, I mean, we'll talk I really, about I really like how sorry, Ben, real quickly. Um, I really like how the IMF agency looks in this. I kind of miss this. We don't really get this look for the IMF agency again. Um, and I, I really I really kind of miss this look. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'll just spotlight a couple of other notes real quick. Uh, this was one, um, Tom, another really strong performance moment for Tom Cruise is the, um, it's, it's a little, it's a little long of a scene, I'll be honest, but I don't mind it, which is the scene where he's struggling not to tell Julia the truth. Oh, yes. Um, right before they get married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, she's like, you know, just make me believe this is real. Um, and when he's just like, the amount of emotions you watch go through his face as he wants to tell her the, the million things he and wants the, to say yes yes and like you can really feel it and you can really see it and you just like, have to trust me credit to tom cruise i think it's a good performance i yeah. think that's that really really works true true um sure. it's an excellent score we already brought up michael giacchino um, he intersperses the theme throughout the movie i think he does a really good job i think he perfects it in the next in one. the next one absolutely yeah but i'm really oh, yeah. glad that he's here doing it his horns so are blazing well. dude i love it i love it i love it. i love it um i really like that we get more info on how they make masks i feel like we get more kind of an insight into mask technology in each film and we mm-hmm. get like the kind of making process at this point which was the kind of iterations fun. of them and whatnot yeah yeah um and the uh the i re- whenever tom cruise can just like sprint on a set i'm really into it so i love the shot when he's escaping and it like and it like pans out and over and you just follow him running through shanghai i think that's so cool yeah, it's a really good shot. They use the location. This well. this was the movie that started the Tom Cruise running memes because yeah. man, he does sure he does run a lot in this one. He does. Um, and he's got I, such a good running pose. He does. 
The, yeah. We've touched on it a bit, but the entirety of the bridge scene, I think, is brilliant. Yeah. Luther and Ethan trying to protect civilians that are on the bridge. Yep. The way that they come down to get Davian out. The effort that you're watching Ethan put in to try and keep Ethan, Davian stuck there and with the drone in action as well. I think it's all just really well orchestrated. Yeah, I, no matter, even in like the worst movies, a, a, a cool like um, caravan heist, I always love. Like I think of I think of X Men: The Last Stand, and the, I was the, about to bring the, that up the too. Magneto yeah. scene, and how yeah. that movie's not great, but that's a dope that's a, that's dope, a dope scene uh, where he just uh, gets a mystique out of there, and I'm like, hell yeah, Caravan. Um, I really like how I really like the breaking into the Vatican moment. I want to oh, showcase. Dude. I want to highlight that because I think I think J.J. Abrams shoots the uh, like the the heist moments really well, and so like when we see we see Tom Cruise like run up the Vatican wall and do that spin and like do some gadget stuff. That's awesome. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I want to highlight that too. That actually just like the whole, the whole way of them pulling off this like this kidnapping heist essentially, just like Tom Cruise getting into the Vatican, and then when he gets over the wall, you see him dressed as a priest with his, his Bible and just the constant costume changes he goes through. It's like, man, I love it when spy movies do this. This is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really like how I don't think I like how Julia kills Billy Crudup's character. I don't get it i don't think what do you mean you don't get it it's just so abrupt it's just that billy crudup shows up he sh he gets shot and dies and then it's just over and like there was really no resolution there and it just feels a little uh it feels a little uh i don't know disappointing i guess of an ending i i don't think i feel that i i don't know what resolution i would want with crudup it's you know like ethan's like got all he needed out of that um i just i don't i feel like the hoffman is the bigger thing and the taking out of hoffman is the bigger deal and crudup is like while it is like a big deal for him you know like to be revealed as the traitor and everything like once that's done like crudup's role in the film is kind of like but now we're done like it's not relevant anymore mm-hmm like just he needs to be, he either needs to be captured or he needs to be taken out and like i don't mind that she does it i like that she has a moment where she has to defend them both i think that's really nice that julia has this moment where she's given um the power in the situation while he's unconscious oh uh, sure i like that really moment enjoy. too and i don't mind that billy crudup suffers from it yeah um i really like when ethan wakes up and he's like you did that yeah good job <laughs> oh oh this yeah like doesn't she have to like shock him alive because yeah. of the brain, no, she shocked. She shocked him to death, to, and that put him out. Yes. And she's uh, doing the like pounding on his chest. That's to bring right. Him back. The pow, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, um, the, that's the moment I highlighted. Don't forget the off. Yeah. Uh, when yeah, yeah. when Crudup uh, does reveal himself as the traitor, he has this whole little speech about um war profiteering essentially and like how america will swoop in when a nation is on its uh, and it'll do what it does best. Yep, yep, yep. Democracy wins, which I think is just goddamn a pretty good line yeah, it um it's, it's real slimy real gross yep, yep. and Crudup does a good job delivering it um yeah and then uh my last note on here that i have is um i really i really like that we never need to know what the rabbit's foot is yeah i i do i could not care less i actually loved that like they never explain it we never see we never really see it it's just a thing i love like, that i love that there's a mission impossible movie where it's like you know there's a thing but it doesn't matter what the thing yes yeah, because at the end of the day it never really matters yeah. most of the time honestly uh okay let's rate it uh ben why don't you go first what, what i think? will give it an 8.5 8.5 uh ryan or sparks 
I will give it an 8.0 out of 10. Sparks? Yeah, solid 9. Yeah, I'll go with an 8.5. I really like this movie. Love it. Uh, okay, so let's move on to Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, the fourth entry in the franchise. Did you see how fancy he was with the logo? <laughs> Came out and you make me self-conscious today, Sparks. <laughs> Um, I have to host this show. You got to stop. <laughs> um, coming came out in 2011, uh, a couple years after the first, after the last one, directed by Brad Bird, written by Josh Applebaum and Andre Wenny. Uh, they were a, a writing duo. They wrote episodes of Alias and uh, uh, the two team, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that Michael Bay produced. Uh, they wrote those two, among other things. They have had a long career but the alias connection is how they got this movie because jj abrams was originally supposed to direct this before he backed out to do star trek oh i didn't know he was gonna come back okay cool yeah which is why he remains a producer on this one and the next two that makes sense that's why um, Gene is still here yeah 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 well g kino would work with brad bird at this point oh you're incredible you're right you're, yep 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 you're right uh this was brad bird's first live action film obviously the incredibles and uh, iron giant um importantly though christopher mccrory did a script edit on this um this is his first introduction to the franchise so christopher mccrory is not credited uh for this but about halfway through production he came on board and retooled the script he himself has said that it was all the pieces were there uh but it's not but like it just was in a different order um so he he um what the changes that he did are very important contextually for this discussion uh Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise's backstory up for this film and Jeremy Renner's backstory for this film were not connected at all. He connected them, made the couple that Jeremy Renner was following was Tom Cruise and Julia. That makes me care more about Jeremy Renner. <laughs> right. Um, he was also the one who said that Julia needs to be alive at the end of this movie um, because the reason is no matter what you do, if Ethan wins, I'm still sad because Julia is gone. Right. Yeah. So by revealing Julia to be alive, it wraps up both Jamie Renner and Tom Cruise's arc in a really meaningful way and makes the audience very happy. Right. That's true. Um, because of how controversial Tom Cruise has become in between this and this and the third one, uh, Jeremy Renner was going to replace him uh, as the star of this franchise. Paramount was adamant about this, uh, but McQuarrie will never say this. He has never said this. But the uh, DP for this for this and the next film, Robert Ellswit, he confirmed that Macquarie rewrote the ending so that Ethan didn't become the secretary, and Amy Renner became the agent, and that was going to be the franchise from now on. Thank Christ! <laughs> Thank God! Oh the reason God. the reason is Ben because I know you don't know why Jeremy Renner is in this movie. Um, the reason is is because coming off the Hurt Locker, Jeremy Renner was hot. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's a um, great movie. He's good in that movie too. So like, I get is. it. I've seen it. it. He was going to be. He was going to replace Tom Cruise and Jason Bourne coming back around to this franchise. Don't don't breeze past that real quick. Ben's seen the Hurt Locker. Let's all just Um, he was going so uh, and he was going to replace Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, with the Bourne Legacy. Um, mm -hmm. they were they were like hot on this man being franchise material. Um, they two franchises saved. <laughs> Which I is really why, like what year did this come out again? 2011. 2011. And of course you have uh, Avengers the following year. Yep. Right? Uh, and he had already done Thor this year. Mm -hmm. uh, 2011. And he's uncredited for that one. And Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunter. 
That movie's <laughs> fun. That movie's fun. That movie's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's 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 basically most everything that you need to know going into this. The uncredited cameos for this movie are Tom Wilkinson, Bing Rames, and Michelle Monaghan. Yeah, uh, great. That is the that is the last time they use the uncredited cameos. That's a shame. <sighs> Initial thoughts? Yeah, Ben. Oh, I love this movie. Also, I actually like this more than MI three because of not to go into a whole review of it, but just there's <laughs> a lot of great character moments, and there's also this movie's funny. My favorite line is like, is on the tower. It's like, "Hey, your line's too short." No shit. <laughs> it's a good line. At the cackling, uh, Ryan. Uh, if if this were the trajectory of the rest of the franchise, I would be so happy because this movie's incredible. This really is like I love what these movies become with McCory, but like they're like they're this this is like a this is just a a, a banger from top to bottom. Uh, it has my favorite like. It's been a while since I've watched all these movies. Like I've only seen all from this on. I've only seen these movies in theaters once, right? So like I'm gonna be visiting these for the second time. Uh, but like this has my favorite spy scene in any of these movies with with the giant fake wall. That's my favorite scene in any God, of these movies. That's so it's good. so ingenious and fun when multiple people show up. Like I never I never thought about something like that before, and it was just like that scene is believable and fun and something that like could exist in like a fake spy world. Uh, I think this movie is really fun. The villain's not as strong, but he's still really great. He's a he's a really fun like oh the end of the world blah, rebuild society. Like I, I'm into it. He's good enough. Um, nuclear war always sucks, you know. Metal Gear taught me that, so like, I love, I love the the uh, the crew, big crew. Think this one's a banger. Yeah, Sparks and thoughts. Uh, I really, really love this movie. Um, I think this movie's very great. It has one big problem to me, and otherwise, I think it's awesome. And it's that Bing Rames isn't in it enough. True, <laughs> true. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I yeah, would say that's uh, my negative of the movie too. <laughs> I I have two. Bing Rames being one of them, because I really like Bing Rames just in general in these movies, and it's a bummer to go from what I think is a very good Bing Rames uh, used movie to one where he's just an uncredited cameo. I I know the the issue was they couldn't differentiate him and Benji at this point, um, and that's fine. But my love of this movie is known. I adore this one. This one for up until now is my favorite. Um, but like Ryan, I only really saw these movies once in theaters. Um, and I just really held on to my, to my like really initial love of this film. So I'm curious to know after we get to five and six, what yeah. changes, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but I, I really love this movie. The only thing, the only real thing is I, I kind of don't get a lot from the villain. I don't, I know like his motivations really don't need to be much, but I, I like the actor. I like what we're seeing from the actor and I kind of wish we had more. Yeah, there's one thing about the villain, just because I'm going to use this to just get us into it, um, which is that it's it's a it's a big like surprise. It is a surprise when it's revealed that it's not his right hand guy, but him himself who went into the meeting and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I kind of wish there was something about that that played off a little bit more later in the film about his his uh, desire to be personally involved and like that's kind of the only hint of true personality we get about him. And then otherwise, like, it's not there. Yeah. And I like that, like, cause he has that guy, that guy is there. We see him later in the movie. Like he exists. It's just, you know, interesting choice to reveal that it was him, but we don't really develop on that. Yeah. Like, why did you need to do that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we also get like in the beginning, 
uh, he is, you know, he's the one who's taking the the case, and he's, you know, he's the one who really like throws the IMF team off the off off of the trail. That's uh, I do like that initial stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a great it's a great bit, but we never really see him do stuff like that again. Yeah, he we he seems like a big super like like an evil super spy kind of guy. And then we learn he's like a professor, like an evil professor. And I'm yeah. like, oh, so he also is just like a cool spy on the on the side. <laughs> I have to be like specific about this, which is that. I really like the location of the final showdown for him and Ethan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I don't like it as like it just feels like this guy kind of just went to a location he couldn't quite escape from, and that's, that's why he gets busted and he his plan fails. And I'm like, oh, you kind of went out like a, with a little bit of eh. yeah, <laughs> like um. it, it just it's just a little bit of a. He becomes radically less impressive. He's also all like, of a sudden. He's also one of those bad guys where like I don't think of him as the final physical confrontation bad guy for Ethan. Like yeah. he is more of the mental guy. So I was expecting Winstrom to kind of be the big final threat, which there is like a confrontation with a different character. But him like going toe-to-toe with Ethan, he shouldn't. Ethan Hunt's like a super spy, and this guy's had doubles his age, right? Like it does feel like he would have sent Winstrom with the case. Yes. And he would have gone and tried to like disrupt the signal, yeah, uh, stuff inside. Like that would have been his thing, and he trusts Winstrom physically yes. to be better about taking the case. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of that because I do really like the fight sequence in in the car park. I think that's I think it's a really cool location and it's utilized really well. But it is super weird. Yeah. When super you, cool. Yeah, and it is weird when you think about that. This guy. It shouldn't really be a match for Tom Cruise. Like no. he's Tom Cruise is getting beat. Yeah, he yeah. is. And this guy's like again, like maybe not double his age, but he's like a like he's a he's a nuclear professor and not a spy and, and not, not a, a guy who does this. Yeah, yeah. Like it is it is unusual because like Tom Ethan should have this easy. Yes. Yeah. Frankly, like it, it's it's a little bewildering in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this dude survived a car crash. Yeah, I can believe much more that he's the guy who's going in and pulling out the wires yeah. and like standing by with a gun to take out Paula oh, Patton. And, and if you and guys uh, don't know, this is the bad guy from John Wick One. Yes. Yeah. 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 I know. I recognized him. Um, I, I, I mentioned that I do miss Luther. We all miss Luther. I do yeah. like Ethan and Benji. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there's a really cool relationship between the two of them in this one that is allowed to shine. Um specifically in the moment just before the coolest gadget ever which is the wall mm. excuse me um he uh benji is like really like you can tell benji is anxious about this and like gonna go too soon and you just see tom like stop him and then like wordlessly there's a lot of wordless tom cruise in this um like wordlessly like calms him like it's okay take your time mm-hmm. um yeah i agree with that i think that's i think that's a really good good beat um nope. Well, I was trying to say earlier uh, when Ryan was talking about it, and I was chomping at the bit because I know there were cool gadgets in MI3, but the gadgets in Ghost Protocol are so much better. Dude, this movie, I, like, from top to bottom, so many gadgets. Like, the, the whole fake wall thing was, I think, I'm like, the second that thing popped out, I was like, why are they putting up a screen? I was like, oh, I was like, that is the coolest thing. And then when you get a moment when Simon Pegg's face just comes up <laughs> and you see his face, he goes, oh shit, and he goes back down. Uh, uh, yeah, I will tell you as a like visual gadget thing, I don't know that this has been topped yet yeah. in the franchise. 
Uh, like I'm trying to think of things from five and six, and I'm like, I don't think anything stands out as much as this particular thing does. Like I think the, this is like the defining like incredible gadget sequence. Like the 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 sticky gloves too are awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. There's so many there's so yeah. many excellent gadgets here. Really um, mm-hmm. What was the? I love the I love the. Just remember, blue is glue. Red dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even the the face like the the face mask creator because we see a new rendition of the mask creator and also poor benji he just wanted to wear a mask he never yeah. did he got a third arm though he did have a third arm oh i love uh, i love that that physical bit yeah um that, that... i i i really like this even though we get cool gadgets and stuff i really like that this film pushes the team by having like tech that is failing them in in certain cases specifically like being the first mission impossible where like the masks just aren't going to work yeah we're not going to do it we gotta cut it um and i think that's really nice it it, it felt refreshing at the time and it still does and it's such a tense scene when they realize that like this double fake meeting that they put on that both masks are not going to work so they just have to go in hoping that both parties don't know who each other are yeah and they have to listen to the conversation to repeat it yes. so they have a, and it's just like it's so well written it's so well edited and directed mm-hmm. and i love it and like leia seydoux is like the female assassin mm-hmm. i love her she's from like death stranding and a bunch of french films who are more important than death stranding but like <laughs> it just it's such a great cast the bad guys like uh winstrom like he doesn't have a lot to do but i think he's like an imposing guy like it's all mm-hmm. good speaking of the the gadget stuff um the the very excellent bit where um sawyer from lost is falling off the roof at the top and he throws down the the thing and turns up and shoots as he lands on the inflatable pad that he threw down amazing we are so lucky that brad bird got to make his spy movie after making the incredibles because like he has so much good spy undertone stuff in there and so the fact that not only did he get to come over here and do that but he got to do it with giacchino doing the music which is like oh num 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 a plus perfect giacchino came to this one to play yeah he had the score like emphasized to the max I will definitely say I heard the Mission Impossible theme a lot more throughout this movie than I have any others, and I'm glad they still do like the, like when um, when they get uh, Ethan at prison and he looks uh, over stop, to Jane. Stop, stop, No, say your say your point first because I have a whole thing on that. No, I'm just talking about how I love the how you hear the Mission Impossible theme throughout the entire film. Uh, the before before you go, Brandon. Just on terms of the theme, what I think is so cool is because like. We, we've recently watched all these movies so i don't i don't feel like any of the others have have done as well and as many variations, variations on the mm. theme um that we get here from giacchino even giacchino in the previous one he started flirting with it i think there is one other variation on piano in the third one but otherwise like usually when we're hearing the theme we're hearing more or less the theme yeah um uh as you know like played a little differently but like here he he like He's bringing all his jazz. He's jazzing it up. He's doing all these different fun ways of including it. Excellent, excellent, excellent score. It's in his bag. The opening is my favorite in the franchise. Me too. Just the just the the prison break sequence is excellently choreographed, um, excellently executed, and then the as Ben was beginning to allude to, just the light the fuse. I'm so into that. The best, the best opening credits by far so far. Yes. Um, where we are getting glimpses of things in the movie, but never so much that it's ruining any of the details. It's like a trailer. As you are going through the prison with the fuse, and Giacchino's just like, he's popping off on yeah. that theme. Like, yeah. oh my god, it's so, so good. 
yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's nothing but love. Like the prison sequence is so well executed that quite literally by the time you get to the light the fuse and the theme song, you're fist pumping in the air. At least I was. Like I was I was so pumped and like excited for the rest of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. One of the th- reasons why I love this movie so much. I will agree the villain is not after Philip Seymour Hoffman, the villain kind of falls flat. But the reason why I love this movie so much and also why I'll rate higher than MI3 is because of all the great character stuff that we get with not just with Ethan, but with Benji and with Jane especially, and even uh, Brant, Jeremy Renner's character. Um, going back to earlier, we mentioned um, Sparks' mom's comment about how Mission Impossible was always about a team. This is where we get a really, I mean, maybe not a tight-knit team, but a team nonetheless, and a team mm-hmm. who went to war with each other and kind of came out of it on the other side to add to your point uh this mission impossible 3 is when we start to really see a change to where right. where the sh- the movies start to become more of an ensemble and that's exemplified here as we get again like in the next movie three returning cast members which is unheard of in this franchise mm-hmm. um at, up until this point because here there's only one returning cast member yeah yeah I, and also what i love about this movie is how you have what you constantly have questions and as the movie is progressing some answer you are given answers you're not given the right answers per se but you're given answers and then that turns into more questions throughout the movie especially like my whole thing one of the things about with like long-standing franchises especially when they when they put in a big life event i.e in mi3 with where ethan gets married to julia i was under the impression that oh great I mean, there's got to be seven Mission Impossible movies. I can only imagine that his wife is nowhere to be seen. They're going to break him up off screen. It's going to, I'm just like, for once, part of me just wants, like, can't we just have like a happy ending for once? Yeah. Just, just, just once. Just have like a happy, somewhat stable relationship of, or I don't know. I don't know what I want to be perfectly honest. Well, as I said, Christopher McQuarrie agrees with you because at the end of this yeah. movie, it's very important to him that Julia mm-hmm. is alive. Brad Bird mm-hmm. was like, that's by and being happy. <laughs> No. Yeah, yeah, but at because when we first get this, and then you hear like, "Oh, they split up." I was like, "Oh," and then later on, it's like, "Hey, you get the whole um, like the heartbreaking scene with um, Brant." I'm like, "Oh, oh, no wonder." That's because I was kind of curious. It was like, "Why is Ethan in a Russian prison?" This is weird, and just yeah, I I, I want to say because you, before you go off of Renner, I I want to say like watching this movie and having watched Renner be good to serviceable in a lot of things recently uh not just for the past couple of years i'm like oh i remember why he was so hot after hurt locker like i think he's good in this yeah, no, ryan and I, I talked about this a bit which is that renner i think does best when he's a secondary character yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i would I, agree I, with that i think he's good in this i think his line i think some of the emotional moments work for him um and i i think some of the comedy moments are very funny like when he's going to jump down that chapter i think is such good comedy yeah um i'm i i was like a whole cast i'm like this is a great cast mm-hmm. even um when we like when we first meet him you like when he says oh i'm an analyst and how i love how he fooled because he fooled me obviously he fooled me throughout the entire movie I, i'm i'm watching this movie like this is hawkeye i know this guy he's done some action <laughs> stuff before so i'm like oh so this is a movie where he's playing like kind of like the nerdy guy the guy who mm-hmm. is in the field and then you get to the scene in the hotel room with the assassin and he instantly on disassembles that guy's weapons like oh no you're not you lying you are liar. Well, like, well, even well he it, is an analyst now now, now. <laughs> right 
but also what I love because how it because how Renner even cemented the fact that he was just unsure of of being in the field was even when they're in the river and he's like how did you know that turning on, on the flare and pushing the body away was going to draw their fire and he's just like just seemed like a good idea at the time well he said i i i, I didn't think that they'd be thinking because like they're shooting they're not thinking they're not mm-hmm. scholars they're not scholars yeah they're mercenaries yeah. yeah yeah and also the what i realized was the secretary in this movie is carmine falcone from batman the oh yeah batman films yeah um i really i really like the secretary scene because ben just brought it up um i really i really like that that moment together between him and the secretary the first time we've met the secretary in these movies and he gives a really impress he gives a really good impression like the last thing he says like ethan i want you to know no matter which way this goes i've always considered you a friend i was like this is working for me like i'm kind of sad that this guy dies yeah i Mm -hmm. i really like the scene of like yeah we're initiating ghost protocol you know the ims being disavowed like you're 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 done buddy if you happen to escape right here's (laughs) a safe house and all your friends and resources and all this stuff and i'm like that's a that's a friend right there i love that yeah uh ben also mentioned uh sorry to mention in mission impossible three uh, discussion that in this one we, we get the this message will self-destruct but it doesn't and he has to go over and whack yeah. it as of right now that's my favorite one because i mean we had three movies where they you know they go kaput but in this one where ethan's just like and it explodes and I'm like, i mean okay this movie's funny like there's it some is. genuinely good comedy yeah. moments like the no shit moment like genuinely made me laugh out loud what's mm. uh what's his russian friend bogdan Bo- uh bogdan I love Bogdan. That guy, the like the cop, and, and oh, yes, uh, uh, and there's like the, the like the Russian arms dealer guy too. Like I yes. love every small character that pops up. Like they're all great. Sergey, are you not Sergey? Are you not, are you not Russian? <laughs> um, yeah. God, okay, we need to highlight the cop real quick. I love the, the cop Russian so cop. much, specifically uh, the bit where Ethan's on the window and <laughs> and he's like. Not a good idea. Oh, oh yeah. It seemed like one at the time. And then he does off. the belt bit and he goes down and he lands and they just have this moment where they both look at each other like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the cops just skyscraper him and then he's like, grab his gun and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> he was like lighting a cigarette and he's like, the. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. You know what yeah. that cop reminds me a lot? Like this movie. And I just realized because when I was watching this, like this cop reminds me of someone. Who does he remind me of? He reminds me of Agent Sarazawa from Lupin the Third. Sure, absolutely. That mm. is how it oh, feels like him yeah. just chasing after him and all that. Sure. Stuff. Especially when he gets to the end and he's like, so um, we're on the same side. And he's like, you wanted me to know that. Yeah. Hospital? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like, uh, I, I, I really, um, I really love this, the, the big stunt in this film. The, this is the film that really like, cemented the tom cruise do big stunt in these movies which is the um the, the climbing the tower uh the tallest building in the world which they yeah. definitely were just like how can i climb this that shot that shot when he leans forward out of the window and turns and the camera follows him out onto the building so I, good brad that's so good dude, 150 guys. stories up like give me a break yo i don't have a fear of heights but that one kind of scared me to be totally and, honest and the joke that when he when he because his thing breaks and so he throws it and then he walks back it gets it back up there and it's up there just sticking in the wind glitching, and then it goes yeah. and he's like that that'll shoot your confidence real quick <laughs> <laughs> he just, like he's going up he's yeah, like and then huh. he's gonna kick the window oh god it's such a good scene 
Yeah, the tension. And then coming back down with with the thread, with the wheel thread. The wheel and thread. I, you know what I really love about that sequence is that you can tell where the camera is because he jumps over the camera. And I kind of really love that because it sells the realness of him running down this building. Right. Oh, dude, it's so sick. That's so yeah. awesome. I love this movie. I love Tom Cruise in these movies. Yeah, he yeah, he really this is the one. Like the Mission Impossible movies have always been like his like production like I produce these movies, but like four is like, what if I wanted to die? Mm. For movies. Yeah. And it, like he this is also the one where they where he even has a thing where where uh I guess during behind the scenes sequence because his his leg break that the bad guy does to him was supposed to be like a, a career breaking leg leg break. And uh, Tom Cruise just goes, No. Not for you. I'm not leaving. No, not for <laughs> yeah. me. Brand, no way, Jose. So, um, oh, I we did talk about Paula Patton, uh, Jane. Yes. I love her. I love so, her. I've the been waiting. The biggest forearms I've ever seen. There's one shot specifically where it's pure muscle. And I'm like, I've never seen someone that jacked in my life. Oh, my God. Ryan, I am head over heels in love with Paula Patton in this Dude, movie. I, genuinely... She's one of the most beautiful people on the planet, and she kicks ass. I'm genuinely she... so upset that she's not in the next one. For me, real. too. Yeah. I didn't know that she was the horde wife in Warcraft. I was about to bring this up. I was literally yeah, she's about to say the this. orc wife. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Which she's the best. I, so I, 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 I was. Wa- I've watched this movie twice in the, this past week, and I'm just like, um, mommy, sorry, mommy, <laughs> sorry. Like, I, I try not to be too horny on Maine, as the kids like to say. But like Paula Patton truly is like stunning, stunning, and she's beating the shit out of people, uh, people, uh, and like. Like, I start feeling like the like the Indian guy. <laughs> like, oh, please yeah. beat me, when, dude. When she slapped him, <laughs> yeah. When she slapped him, everyone like we're all like joking around, like yeah, blah blah. And I'm like, bro, I get it. No, I would do you. I get it. You can flip me over, ball. It's fine. <laughs> I, even when she's talking to um the Winston and what's in the in the other guy who died, poor guy. Um, yeah, I'm just like damn she's pulling it off and then like of course when she enters the party scene i was like mommy sorry mommy sorry uh, mommy so she's so her name is agent carter fun fact Haley atwell agent carter will be in the few movies later that's true that's true uh yeah i i really i i appreciate that she has an arc um of wanting revenge for... that mirrors ethan's that we think because we don't actually know the true story of ethan right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where and, it's supposed, and she's trying to connect it with him on that, and he's like, "You don't we know can't, the whole story." <laughs> we, well, he says we can't get them back. Yeah. And yeah. like, he's meaning that in the same way of like, well, his wife isn't dead. Yeah. He can't be with. They her. can't truly be together yeah. in this life. Yeah. I really liked her arc in this movie. I found it very compelling. Um, her fight with um, what's that girl's name again? Leia Sadu. Leia Sadu. Yeah. Um, is is so good, and like you get the moment when she like bursts in and it's like, here, watch her. Why me? Because I'll kill her if I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she killed or, uh, uh, Agent Lock Sawyer. Yeah, first. and like she, yeah. she and like she kicks her off the building, which is an incredible moment. Yes, or also even like the scene when she sees her, like when she when uh, um the when the assassin lady walks out and there's Jane. She sees her. And she just runs after, her, like as kind of hulking out in a way. I'm oh my god! Like, oh my god! She put the she put the devil in Leia Sadu in that moment because this yeah. hardened assassin was was rummaging for her keys. <laughs> it's true, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she and so here comes Jane just running down that hallway. I'm like, kick her ass! Yeah, like she's honestly, I was very good. I actually I was very shocked that um that she got kicked out the window. 
Although part of me had a feeling that the second they took that entire window plane off so Tom Cruise can go up the building to the server room, I'm like, something's falling out of that window. I thought it was just going to be a random henchman, like one of the bodyguards. Nah, it was the assassin. And I'm like, check out oh, the shit. Window. Yeah, mm-hmm. check out window. Window. Uh, the, uh, the the Kremlin the Kremlin sequence where he pretends to be a general and then has a reversible jacket. Oh, man. I love I spy shit. Y'all. This is watching these movies again. I'm like, oh man, I really like spy shit. That's right. Like I love Metal Gear. It's all it's all coming back to me, man. It's so good. Hey, it. remember when I said earlier I love how um, Tom Cruise constantly changes his outfit in MI3 from a priest to a not priest? Um, yeah, I actually love it how he's a general, tells people to close the gates, and instantly puts and just takes off and is like Bruce Springsteen. I'm just like. That's oh, Funny shit, and I lo- I love it so much because it is fundamentally a different jacket. Yeah, like yes. that that uniform is is form fitted, but that thing is poofy. <laughs> so like he just reverses it. And he's just got a just a completely different jacket on. And has, a, love, has like a tourist guy in front of him. Yeah. And not only that, when the cop sees him in the hospital and he pulls up the jacket revealing oh. the general star, I was like, oh, it bit him in the ass because you never see that in spy movies. You never yeah. do. You, it's, it's always like they either have a clean getaway or the cop is like, oh, I know it was you. I reckon or it was some some BS reason how the an antagonistic force recognizes our hero. And this time it's like, no, nah, I got you, man. You're a lot act. of a lot of the decisions in this movie were in direct response to people thinking the Mission Impossible franchise had gotten old hat uh with three so there so like th- that's why the masks break and that's why the the cop finds kids eat, like with they are uh 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 you know kind of they're trying to subvert expectations of what you think a mission impossible movie is supposed to be yeah um and they i think honestly it works yeah they have to be down and dirty sometimes they just have to use the skills that they have in front of them instead of like gadgets and stuff even though there are tons of gadgets in here yeah they they're, they fail can sometimes. i can i tell you the sexiest gadget i've the sexiest gadget move i've ever seen in my life uh for me is just when they're driving when they're driving to the server room and they're just like find me another way and she moves the hud on the screen which oh, i'm like yeah. that's sexy as hell um yeah. i i would be remiss not to mention the very good red balloon uh bit that goes up and drop and has the camera and drops mm. the device down the chimney the sensor or whatever very it is. sneaky yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the whole kremlin uh break-in is incredible like i love mm-hmm. that whole sequence no like even when when uh you also what i love about like mi3 and mi4 or ghost protocol is that there's always an operation like with mission possible 3 the operation to get philip seymour hoffman generally goes without a hitch i mean there's like a few bits more like when the security guard's coming into the bathroom and you and he has to do the mm, like the coughing fit mm-hmm. and getting inside the kremlin I mean, I love Simon Pegg in this movie. I abs- I'm so glad he's part of the team now. And, he, and he's like trying to, you know, just like trying to calm his nerves down. And Tom Cruise is just like, dude, chill the F out. Yeah, it's very but when But when they get to the prize in the archive room and they find out that the tapes are gone and then you hear Cobalt over, the, like, over their frequency. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how it goes from zero to oh shit in five seconds yeah you you hear the voice and it's like uh, uh, go team we're in the we're in the vault and he's like that's nobody on my team uh-oh that's mm-hmm. immediately you're right it goes so fast he says team leader are you in the archive room which yes. cues everyone to go like oh shit what's going on in the archive room everyone's in the archive room what do you mean yeah uh yeah it, yeah i just love that and also the trailer shot with the sandstorm i, I also love how the sandstorm iconic play. Yeah. Iconic, the, him yeah. running out of the building in that sandstorm. 
yeah it's, um, and even the yeah. chase scene in the sandstorm because you you can't see shit it's like it's a very it's, awesome. it's a very cool scene the only way that i could figure that i could outrun tom cruise mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> nature um yeah i really i really like this movie i don't think i have much else um i do love the oh this has my favorite one of my favorite lines which is literally i know it doesn't really come to anything but when ethan gets the kate first off ethan's a lunatic and i love that the guy decides to kill himself thinking oh this guy's not a lunatic and then (laughs) he gets in the car and drives off the car park to crash puts the seatbelt on you know Um, your bag's going on yeah even even he's kind of like i guess i'm doing this um but like i love the i love the just like get the case mission accomplished <laughs> i also uh, love how so good i love how luther gives some shit for at the bar 20 minutes later yeah did you really yeah. say mission accomplished it's 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 a it's a it's obviously like a big trip of like you know having like the bomb like uh, uh be cut off right like one second but like it's really really good of having the missile going and have having like three steps to get to the missile to to go off oh yeah like, the you power know, you know, the drives the yeah you need the drives you need the power and you need ethan and like you're waiting you're waiting and you're waiting and then it works and it's like oh yeah, it's like oh, like what did they say it was? I was like oh, it was just like a, it was just like an unmanned vehicle that it was crashed. A meteorite. Was like, there you it was a see. meteor. The meteorite. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Oh, yeah. I just, I just remember, I just realized what this note says. The I we I did I brushed this over, but I wanted to highlight it just that extra bit. The the jump into the server room in the in the place when Ethan when um. Uh, Brant is kind of is like psyching himself. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I'll catch you. I could. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. There we go. All right. Uh, and it goes on just it's just long enough, honestly, yeah. because like you're you're like getting really. And by the time Ethan is like jump, and everyone and she breaks her hand. It's so yeah. tense. Did you right. jump? I jumped. Should yeah. I not have jumped? Yeah. That that whole sequence is really fun because that dude is just like this is just like being like levitated in midair, like running into things because of a little a little robot. Uh, I think it's really fun. I think my favorite thing is the release of tension being the gra- the 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 clutching on the finger too hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and that that's how you release the tension of that buildup in the scene, mm. and then you cut back to Renner, so you don't even know what happened with him yet. That's true. I think that's really really smart. This this film is filled with a lot of really smart choices. Brad Bird's just very good at. I think this is the first Mission Impossible that feels like just so detail oriented and thought about from top to bottom. Yes. Um, I've got a couple of notes that highlight that the the way that they do the subtitles when Ethan is waking up and it's oh, Russian and then awesome. you watch it fizzle into English. Um, I think that's very good. Uh, when he takes the paper clip from the nurse, they show a shot of her grabbing the papers and them all spilling all over the floor. Yep, yep. So the cop, if he was paying attention, could have caught that, but he wasn't. Yeah. Um, they they do a great job with that kind of thing. Um, the uh, <laughs> uh, there's this really incredible shot where um, you're in the in the uh, guy's like party palace at the end, and um, the water fountain like shoots the water across, and the camera follows from Ethan to reveal the cop yep. at the location to the other side. And I think that's just really really well done. There's just a lot of really smart directing decisions done in this movie. Yeah. Um, that fill it with personality. I don't have as many notes on this movie as I did on Mission Impossible Ooh. 3 because after a while I was just kind of sitting there going, like, I would just keep writing. I love this. Uh, trying to get on the train. Oh, yeah. Oh. The... <laughs> Put your face in it. <laughs> Pull. Like, trying to avoid the poles and get the feels... ice scanner going. <laughs> it feels so natural because they're like, okay, 47, 47. 47. Oh, shit. And they just, like run the other way. Yeah. 
yeah, I love that. I love that sequence. Honestly, like I love everything about this movie. Every sequence is awesome. Every, every all the gadgets are so much fun. I I really like this movie. Again, like if it, it it's there's like another world where like Brad Bird like actually like made a bunch of stuff instead of just like I don't know what he makes what he does anymore besides like randomly work on Obi Wan Kenobi for no reason. Um, where he's made like the next four Mission Impossible movies, and they are all like like this again. Like I love the next movies, but like of this kind of like particular tone of being like really funny but still actually dramatic because i think they become a little more dramatic with mccory which again is not a bad thing whatsoever but the tone of this movie specifically i really really like um and like and i there's a world where like bad bird made two more of these that i really love to have seen yeah yeah this this one really set while they do change it a little bit in the next two as ryan has been been saying like this one really set the template though this was like mission is back this is what mission is and we're going forward. So much of what we know of the next few movies came from this movie, yep, right. uh, specifically the crazy stuns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Shall we rate it? Yes, I shall give it a nine out of ten. Ben. Oh, I'll definitely give it a nine point five out of ten. I had a blast with this movie. Sparks. Yeah, I'll give it a nine. Um, I I think that it's very very good. I think um, the only thing that holds it back is is not having Ving Rhames in more of the movie and a uh, mishandled I think villain character. Yeah. Um, mm. for what it's trying to do, I think just again like once we said it out loud and it's like it would make much more sense for Winstrom to have taken the case. I'm like it would make much more sense. Like that's just weird. Um, it it I do feel like it just uh kind of fumbles the ball with the villain a little bit. Yeah. I will give it I was hovering I'm hovering around a nine because I feel like I should give it a nine, but I really like this movie, so I'm gonna give it a nine point five. Like I, I have a really great time with this one. This one is is just so much fun and I love rewatching the sequences and I am in love with Paula Patton. Yeah. Um it's true. Just, I, I I forgot how how uh all and stunning person she is from from acting and kicking ass and looking looking very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, shall we get into a book club then? Uh, real quick, because I think I just want to kind of gauge this. I think we're all the same, and I think it's going to change the next time we talk about Mission Impossible, and we'll be different. But does everybody think they have? We collectively probably rank these films the same. I don't know. Is it four, three, one, two for everyone? Oh, you mean for so far? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. We're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think once five and six are in the mix, we're all going to get a little different. Yes. But now I think right now we all agree four is the best. Yes. Three then comes, then one, and two's at the bottom. 100%. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you look at my letterbox, that is what it is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, all right. Shall we get into a book club? Okay. It is my turn for the book club so i did indiana jones and the spear of destiny i'm big on indiana jones i can't wait for indiana jones and the dial of destiny i just want to talk about indiana jones all the time so i picked an indiana jones comic uh so i picked indiana jones and the spear of destiny written by elaine lee who also did the colors um with art by will simpson on the first issue and then and inks uh, by Dan Spiegel on the first issue, but then Dan Spiegel takes over from three, four, and five, from two, three, and four on art, just art. Um, for a few miniseries from Dark Horse from 1995, what do we think of this? I can I'm tell. To be honest, was... I, don't, I didn't really, I didn't really care for it. Yeah, yeah. I assume I... Ben was about to say the same thing. I was, I was. I can tell it's a 90s book. 
I like the idea of it, but the execution literally had me falling asleep. And I truly was falling asleep when I was reading this. Um, I like the idea of the Spear of Destiny. I like how it's a it's, it could be a direct sequel from Last Crusade. But other than that, I don't know what it was. Just like parts of the writing just fell off. And I, it wasn't like grabbing me, you know? It wasn't just like, yeah, I'm back in the Indiana Jones adventure. I was just like, eh, it, it, to me, it kind of felt like Indiana Jones late in a yeah. way. Sparks? I think anything that isn't a movie starring Harrison Ford is always going to feel that way. Um, I, I don't dislike this. I just think it's dated. More than anything, that's my my harshest criticism of it. Um, I I do think it gets a little. I do think it gets a little lost in the weeds on some sections uh, uh, that I think it throws too much historical information without without making it relevant, like clearly in pieces of this story, um, specifically like there is interesting stuff being stated and explored about like where we are and why we're there. Um, but it's not landing and I, and I wish it brought it all the way home. Um, but I, but I like parts of the adventure. I can easily see like how enjoyable the bad guy could be sure. um, yeah. as who he is. Like if you were watching an indie movie in your head kind of thing to this, like I, I can see the good indie villain of this guy with his son and, and the way that he's uh, believing in the party beyond Hitler and this kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of fun there. Um, what I wouldn't give to see the dream sequence filmed where Adolf Hitler grabs Indiana Jones oh my God. and says, the spear belongs to me. Adolf. Like, Adolf. <laughs> that was pretty wild. <laughs> I, I wish that that kind of got played with more. Um, I think like the biggest thing that draws it down for me is that i never really get on board with um o'neill the redhead uh, guy yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, as a companion to indy um i kind of like i get that he's kind of there because we're not doing indy and his dad again as our main companions we he's want to have a different type <laughs> but he's just not i don't think he's developed well yeah. um and that's and that's the part that that really drives me a, a little away from it um mm -hmm. as a story i think I really didn't like this. Um, and I'm bummed about that because, like, you know, I wanted to pick an Indiana Jones comic. Um, and I I thought this would kind of be a slam dunk for me because it's bringing back Henry and Indiana. And it's a sequel. It's a kind of proto-sequel to The Last Crusade. But it right from the get it gets me on it gets me in a bad mood because it recontextualizes the ending of The Last Crusade with Her with Indiana with Indiana being like man I, I can't believe i i dropped this i've dropped the grail and his dad and his dad being like i should have become a knight uh, a knight a protector of the grail i'm like yeah so they didn't there they wasn't they they didn't mm -hmm. learn they lied to each other at the end of the movie that i don't like how they recontextualize the end of this movie i i'll besides using actual like phrases indiana jones says in the movies i don't see a lot of indiana jones in this guy he's really generic to me mm -hmm. a lot of the characters they're the writing in this is like not awful, but there's just like it's just like people saying things and saying history. I don't feel personalities. I think the person with the most personality is is the Irish guy, but he's just an Irish stereotype. He just says a lot of Irish things. I think the person with the most personality is the, the villain bad guy. Yeah. Oh no, sorry. Yeah, the villain. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's true. The villain is a great villain, uh, but that's because he just gets to be an asshole. Whereas, right. like, I I need to care more about the main characters, and I Indiana Jones is not a character I really care about in this comic book. Mm -hmm. I. 
really don't much care for the art either. And yeah. and I bring that up because one of the things that I think is very important for a licensed comic is that it needs to feel like the character that you're reading. If I read Spuffy season eight, I want it to feel like I'm reading in Sarah Michelle Gellar's voice. I recently did, did a Star Trek Strange New Worlds, read a Star Trek Strange New Worlds comic, and I could hear Anson Mount and Rebecca Romain talking in the in this dialogue. Yeah, yeah. There is no moment in this comic, I'll be honest, where I felt like I could hear Harrison Ford deliver this mm-hmm. this overly wordy dialogue uh, for a character like Indiana Jones. Yeah. And it it's just the, every page is filled with the largest word balloons I've ever seen. And the art is already not much to look at because the characters don't look right. Um, it's just, it just really didn't work for me. To be perfectly honest, once the second thing I read The Spear of Longinus, my brain instantly went to be like, Eva, yeah. like, Eva? Eva? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I heard Cruel Angel's thesis <laughs> in my brain. I'm like, I know it's not really that, but at the same time, it's like, man, how rad would it be if an Eva Yoda one just popped out of nowhere? That'd be so not well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, I... Yeah, like I said earlier, I was falling asleep to this book quite literally, and I, I was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was. I know that it's a bummer because I like the idea, but I also want to agree with you, Brandon, on how it recontextualizes the ending of Last Crusade. When we saw Last Crusade getting ready for Dial of Destiny next week, I love seeing that scene again between Indy and Henry. Like when when Henry says, "Let it go." to indiana it's like yeah he's he cares more about his son and then you get to that part i'm like you just ruined the movie right now i mean you did ruin the movie but you just ruined a really heartfelt ending by recontextualizing that that he you wanted don't to need be the that. Knight of the grail you don't need that scene either right no, you, don't. you don't need that that beginning scene because that never really comes up again it doesn't just like started in 1945 with indiana in ireland and go from there especially if you want to say something for a little while um, I was going to say it was in response to something you said a bit a, a bit back, like you don't hear Harrison Ford's voice in any of these lines. And I have to agree for the most part, with the exception of this one, I decided to take a picture of because I'm like, there you are, Harrison. Um, <laughs> no, I can hear him saying, Mr. O'Neill, I don't know whether to kiss you or break two or three of those chronically light fingers of yours. That I can hear Harrison Ford mushmouthing his way through. Sure. Um, that felt like an indie line to me. I'm it's one one line it's just one four books i'm not def- i'm no not no i know you know i'm just yeah. saying like that's a that's a bummer it's like, more it's more me highlighting it because yeah. it stands out yeah as like oh we can do this we yeah. just aren't doing this. i do like i did take a picture of what the like what one of the villains plot is and i do like this idea the nazis want the tree they've got the head of the spear but the shaft is not the original they want to make a new shaft from the spear from the original what's so like go into the original tree that the spear of longinus was formed from that's like a cool idea and that, not knowing where the original tree not, actually yeah. is because they they lied about it like most of it was destroyed at one point and moved absolutely so like that had like a mystical energy tree like all that like again like you know like uh, being indian jones like supernatural stuff i'm into the idea of that and again i like our villain um he just yells uh Adolf, like who was it uh he's talking about hitler not being perfect because he's, he's Austrian! Austrian! And so, I'm like, that villain's really funny. So the um the one of the things I do like about this is the uh is the the uh, connecting of a Welsh uh mythology to Christianity, uh connecting two spears uh from from different two different mytholo- mythologies to uh, explain that they're actually the one. I did actually really enjoy that. I thought that was a clever way to do it. 
Yeah, I think that's really cool too. Again, it goes back to I don't think they land it for relevance in this story. I don't think right. that they execute on it properly because usually when you're getting the history and mythology stuff inside of one of the Indiana Jones films, then it comes back around to like how that's relevant in terms of what we're actually doing in the story. Right. Um, yeah. Uh I, I do want to note two other things. First off, when um Indy seeing the woman and then he says he calls her a redhead, and I'm like, that woman is clearly blonde. And yeah. then later she's a redhead. Okay, I um, thought it was just me and, and it I'm really like, bothered me. Am I like am I losing my mind? Because I really just scrolled up two pages and she's blonde. I'm like, Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is did I miss something? No, it's just a coloring mistake. I'm like, mistake. this is not this is not hard to get right. That's a coloring um, mistake. And then uh part of the problem I think that comes with this comic and um and I think draws it back is that it's really tough when you don't get Indiana right because we hear his internal monologue as well as what he says. Yes. And his internal monologue absolutely doesn't feel like Indy. Yeah. Um, especially like things he thinks about women in his head. I'm like, oh man, this sucks. And it's written by a woman too, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's a different time. No, I know. It's just like, it's, it's a bummer. The, uh, I mentioned I don't really like the art. And one of the biggest reasons is because I don't think the action is very well staged or choreographed. Um, there's a couple of action sequences that are incredibly difficult to follow. Um, I just could not follow the action. There's a couple of paneling issues too, where it where the the paneling is just wrong. Like, and the, you're trying to read, yeah, like you're following it. it in a weird way. No, 100. Like, percent They happen multiple times because there's like an so S shape down the page. Yeah, and I'm like, this isn't. I I'm lost here. I don't yeah. know what how you want me to read this. I I will say I don't think the art is always bad, but I do think it's pro- uh, not great. It's just inconsistent through, through a big chunk of it. Um. I do really like the way our villain dies. The blood from the nose is just like profusely yeah. never ending bleeding until he's mm-hmm. gone. Um, I thought that was good. It's a good, I, it's a good Indiana Jones villain death. Yeah. I think, our, yeah, the villain is is kind of the standout. I think he's always having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> the spear is mine. Adolf Hitler. That's a great page. Yeah, just the turnaround about like O'Neill being king, I don't think is good. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's like built up too well or conceived well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a real bummer. Grayson's got a comment there. Um, I think about the Spear Longinus that uh, an Ava unit and an angel start fighting, and then Indiana jumps into one of the suits. Yeah. That'd be, that'd Are be you something. a pilot? Part time. All right. I have a quote here that I really love. Um, um, it's the bad guy, and he's like, We won't have to kill you now. Sorry. I am especially sorry to have to do this to end your career, Professor Jones. I have read your work on the Grail. I have great respect for you. And he's like, Oh, Thanks, I guess. Wow, thanks. <laughs> wow, thanks. You're gonna kill me still. That's a like, good bit. Yeah, like the villain, like you know, he's 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 chewing the scenery, he's having fun. It's cool. The covers are cool. The covers are great. Absolutely, covers are yeah. great. Who who wrote this again? Uh, Elaine Lee. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. Uh, one thing. One. All right. Sparks. Oh, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sparks. It looks like Ethan Hunt is smelling your neck. Uh, he is. <laughs> It's uh it's kind of a permanent problem. <laughs> All right. Sorry, uh, just had to point that out. I was like, my God, it looks like he's either smelling or trying to kiss it. Sparks, it is your book club next week. What do you got for us? Yeah, I'm really, really sorry to do this, y'all, but it's Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Why now, are you doing here's, this? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not the same writer. So let's see what happens. To be fair. Brandon knew I'd pick this already because he asked me if I was doing Indiana mm. Jones this week. And see, so this is this why was already I picked the Exterminators cards. instead of trying to pick a flashbook because I would have picked a mediocre flashbook. And I picked Exterminators. Uh, it was only today that I realized I should have probably picked Secret Invasion. Look, I feel I feel safe with this pick 
that we we might have a better time with it. This is the comic based off the video game. The video that everybody game. Loves. People like that game. Yeah. Sure. So I'm I'm very intrigued to read this. Supposedly one. that game is the best Indiana Jones story outside of the movies. Let's a see lot of a lot if of a book translation would be good. Absolutely. Um, it's another four issues. It is different writers. I've double checked because I didn't. I was not going to put us through this if it was the same writer. <laughs> I I stood by that when when we did this book club and I read it and I was like, okay, if it's the same writer, I'm not doing this. Sure. It is a different writer. So let's see how it goes. I hope it goes well. It's Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. I'm into it. Uh, All right. So there's kind of a snake eating its own tail moment with this because it was first the the video game Fate of Atlantis, point and click uh, adventure, really well loved. This comic comes out. Another game based on this comic comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also a really well received game. Right. Um, Okay. So that'll do it, guys. That's uh, that's the that's the show for you. Uh, Good night. can you just imagine it was just like bye (laughs) um okay guys next week oh man next week it is indiana jones and the dial so much indiana jones um yeah we are finally going to be talking about the fifth entry of the indiana jones franchise i'm nervous and excited i cannot wait all right guys of course you can check out all sorts of things if you like this video and you, and you subscribe to this channel there's of course my solo show conversation where i talk with uh where I, this past episode i've talked with ken knapps talk about indiana jones this coming episode stay tuned uh uh rachel strange from the narrative labyrinth podcast love that discussion um i i yeah that's i'm really excited for that one guys um, all right, guys, check out YouTube, our YouTube channel, and in various audio feeds, such as our, our, our long-lost sister show, Miscellaneous, is back um, to do The Ark of the Covenant, which is an Indiana Jones franchise this coming episode, uh, Sankara Stones. Stay tuned. Um, Fake Nerds Watch is back. Also, Fake Nerds Watch, we did Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 and Secret Invasion. So stay tuned, so stay tuned for more on at least one of those. Um spoilers for that basement arcade i just heard new basement arcades coming yeah um there we'll be getting the demos that we did uh this past week out as videos um this coming week so check out those when they drop very cool uh ben uh two basement arcade pause menus well ben and ryan and sparks for summer games fest and mint Mm -hmm. i'm sorry thank you um Fagner book club new episode coming of that soon stay tuned uh animation station and the real score all have episodes in the works uh so stay tuned for updates on those you can also check out our patreon and our t public if you'd like to support us financially all these links that i've said before uh can be found on our website uh which is linked below as well at fignerpodcast.com um all linked below all on the website just you know Want an easy place to do it? Be like, hey, what's this website? Oh my goodness, it's fakenerdpodcast.com. I love this show. Look at that. Oh. Feels like a 90s commercial. <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal. Another scorcher. Um, all right. Grayson Live is in the chat saying, thanks so much, guys. Always fun to find out what's up and get that hang time. Have a great week and take care of yourselves. We Grayson. will. I'm Invisible Man. Thank you, Grayson. We're going to do um, Shredder's Revenge soon. We have, it comes out August. We have two months to do it. We have to do, to do it. it this month. We have to do it. This coming month, July. It's a three-hour game. It's easy. All right, guys. Uh, thank you to everyone who listens, and thank you to everyone who watches the live show and who watches the Rewind. We greatly appreciate all of your support. Uh, thank you to Jeremy Bellucci, new host of The Real Score, uh, as well as did all the musical uh, comp- compositions you heard 
uh, here tonight, as well as all all of our shows, including the new miscellaneous intro uh, with images done by Sparks Witty. Yeah. Jeremy got really in his bag on this one because he's been listening to the Indiana Jones scores a lot. So it's a good theme. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. like it. Uh, I, I like it too. Of course, you can find his podcast, Suburban Proctologist, on iTunes or Suburban Proctologist Official. Uh, Mag, good night. Everybody take Mag. care. Yeah, and even Dan's still here too. Dan says, you're welcome. Oh, we well, he, we said thank you. And he said, you're welcome. So I appreciate you're it. Well, thank That's you. A, appropriate response. And of course, you can find Instagram at Subpart Podcast. Mike Matola, one of the wonderful Mike Matola, did a couple of our logos, including the miscellaneous one. Um, you can find him on TikTok and Instagram. Hopefully, we get him back soon. You can yeah, find yeah. us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All at Fickner Podcast, FickNerGuys at gmail.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us personally, I am at BT McClure on Instagram and Twitter. I also write for AtomicGeekdom.com, CBR.com, and write and edit for KaijuRamenMedia.com. Uh, Danger Dangers once again in the comments saying kidding aside thanks for a great show as always have a good one guys you too sir you're you're a good dungeon master Ben where can people find you well you can find me still shedding tears of the kingdom at benmaga27 on Instagram Twitter and TikTok and you can also find me writing for a fusion gaming magazine go nintendo.com old school gamer magazine and playing Mary Frankenstein in D&D Dark new episodes out Wednesdays and I know that Dan is going to be like, oh, this is nice, but I'm going to a meat grinder this weekend. Uh, no new episode this coming Wednesday for DN Dark. It'll be back the right. week after. <laughs> Thank you for Sparks, that, Sparks. Where, Sparks, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me in pursuit of fortune and glory at Sparks Witty and at uh, Instagram and Twitter, S-P-A-R-K-Z Witty. Ryan? You can find me beating Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and Jedi Survivor this week so I can dive into all that is Final Fantasy 16 and give it my whole ass. Whole ass. My whole ass. Not just whole one. Whole not, a, not a side cheek whole ass. At DJ Tony Snark 616. Sorry. Ben, ben he's going to finish this week. You're on notice. Gotta get Survivor done. Oh, he's not going to be on. Not, Let's just do no, it without him. It's not. We're just doing it without him. Yeah, that's the next week thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podcast, and Pandora. Rate and review wherever you get us. We greatly appreciate it. Like this video, subscribe to this channel, and until next week, guys, stay fake nerds.